episode of Nickel City Soundtrack. In this episode, we did a draft again. This time, we drafted our favorite releases from Roadrunner Records. Roadrunner Records put out a lot of different kind of music, from hardcore to metal and genres like that. They even put out Nickelback, so they have a pretty wide array of artists and genres that they've put out. So, we had some friends come on to help us. Me and Chris did the episode with Mike Jeffers of Juggernaut GOA, Billy Page of Late at Night Magazine, and Wrongly Oppressor fame. We had Larry Gargas of the Bleachmouth Postscript podcast and various Ohio hardcore bands. So we went through, did a draft style, picked our favorite releases on the label. Me and Chris kind of kept it core, and everybody else went in a different direction, I think. Uh, enjoy this discussion of Roadrunner Records, and we will see you on the next one. Welcome to the latest Nickel City Soundtrack podcast. Only Chris and I are here as far as regular crew, but we have some special guest friends of the show. Let's, uh, we've got, who we got here? Let's introduce see if you yourselves. guys, you, you people introduce yourselves. You people. <laughs> you people. Take exception to that. <laughs> you should. I took exception as well. <laughs> Fine. All right. Introduce yourselves. Uh, I'm, I'm Mike Jeffers. Yeah. Exclamation point. Jeffers. <laughs> <laughs> Trademarked. <laughs> Larry. Yeah. I'm Billy Page. Billy Page in the house. Um, so, okay. So we're doing, we're doing another draft episode. Um, we're going to do Roadrunner Records. Roadrunner Records not always not a hardcore label but you know kind of like a you know that kind of, you know a alter, like alternative music label metal label all that stuff yeah. lots of different genres on roadrunner we're going to cover all of them i think because these guys have some uh have some music music uh diversity here so you guys uh you know you you'll throw in your picks and stuff so how are we going to do this chris well quick so quick- as, as- Quick question. Yeah. Yeah. We are are we including RC records as well? I asked What's that RC. Road and, Racer, because that's what it was called at first. Oh, so yeah. yes, and I wasn't gonna bring that up until my picks. As per Mr. Miller, if the record says Roadrunner Records on it, you can pick it. So yeah. that includes Road Racer and Hawker. Yeah. Well, that's okay. fine. What about Super Soul? Yes. His uh, RC definitely says yeah. uh, Roadrunner, on, on, uh, even on the later releases, it'll say. And, yeah. and you got to remember, Hawker though. does, too, so I would assume Super Soul does as well. Yeah. But see, there's, there's a lot of stuff on Roadrunner that actually wasn't on the label. It was just licensed. So you'll find Slayer stuff. 
that actually was only licensed to Roadrunner. So you, and you also find like SST like Black Flag and Blast stuff, which is also mm. licensed uh, yeah. to Roadrunner Europe. So you yeah, learn that from it's going to be tricky. Roadrunner Road Runner USA, you know. Um, is it really yeah, tricky though? Yeah. Yeah. yeah when so I was, many... Because when I was doing research, like I was finding things out, like. For example, Possessed, who was known for being on combat, Roadrunner licensed them for Europe. Yeah. You know, so they wouldn't count, but I had no idea. I just thought it was straight up combat, you know. So yeah, and then, I think that's uh, fine though. For the purpose of this, I think it's fine. Let's, let's... Is it though? Because like the circle jerks were on relativity, but their stuff was licensed later on in Roadrunner. And I would say they're a relativity band and not a Roadrunner band. Relativity would I mean, be cool much, at some point. It would, <laughs> but much like past drafts, no comps no reissues so that would include licenses to europe mm -hmm. uh, i don't know how many like straight up reissues beyond licensing they had but that's the standard and we're doing our three picks and as a standard draft somebody else picks before you you got to have a backup yeah uh and we'll go um first name alphabetical order so billy you're up first all right I'd go Annihilator, Alice and Hell. Ah, Jeff Waters, awesome pick. Amen. Great, fantastic pick. Jeff Waters is like the, one of the greatest thrash guitar players of all time. And have a Rochester connection too. Joe Como, who also sang in Overkill, was in Annihilator for a time also. So that's a, that's a good regional pick, I would say. I can honestly say I've never heard that. Which is why it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> this is why we have well, Jeffers yeah, on, too. Jeffers got all sorts of knowledge on this stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm too, sure. Chris, it's like, it's super technical and it has like a lot of, I mean, it's definitely, you know, in a thrash speed metal lane, but it's got like hallmarks of like your more classic metal in a lot of ways. Hopefully and uh, there's, there's like, there's a complexity to it. It's not prog at all, but there's like complexity to the songwriting that like kind of supersedes what a lot of people saw, even in the thrash realm. Like it's really, it's pretty astounding. Like that guy's guitar playing is just, it's absurd how good he is. Yeah. I, I mean, he's, he's got his own model guitars and everything has for years. He's, he's a standard for, for thrash, thrash riffing. The guy is a, a machine. The band still puts out new albums to this day. Um, they're absolutely amazing. I mean, they obviously, have had different lineup changes over the years, as any band that's been around for you know forty years would. Uh, but that's that's a yeah. underrated record by most metalheads, especially in Buffalo. Buffalo, you know, um, they like death and grind, and everybody loves you know seventies metal. But uh, that's that's a good pick, man. I, I, that was a good job, Billy. That's a good one to to start out with. And it has a hardcore punk connection because Randy Rampage was in uh, DOA. DOA, yep. Look at you guys. I feel that I feel record. Learning. Was, that, <laughs> I don't know if it sold more than any of their other records, but it's definitely it felt like they were the most visible with that record because they were on, they were getting play on Headbangers Ball. So there's like a commercial peak there. I mean, maybe worldwide they might have sold more records than another album, but I, I don't. I can't. That's the first record I always think of when I think about that band. Yeah, that's that's the gold standard for the band by far. What what year did that come out? <clears throat> was that ninety? Yeah, you were like eighty nine or ninety. Nice. So 
here's a. I was still in high oh. school. So I, I'm pretty sure it, 89, 90. Yeah, Pretty much all of us. Maybe, maybe not Chris because he's old as shit. But uh, yeah, definitely uh, not. <laughs> I was a junior in high school, nineteen ninety. <laughs> I, I I believe I was working overnights at Red Apple, uh, <laughs> trying not to fall asleep and doing sketchy shit with lottery tickets. Yeah, nice. You're not the first person I've heard that my from. My was in high school. Yeah, ninety. This chain was around then too. Nice, nice, real chain gang. <laughs> Nice. Let me, let me pull mine out. I got the little ones on today. Yeah. Yeah. Chain gang. Keep it real, man. <coughs> Keeping it real. All right. So <laughs> yeah, if only that was on Roadrunner. <laughs> so uh, Chris, so, Chris, you're next. I'm next. I'm gonna go. Uh, you know, I you know, I'm a hardcore kid. I'm keeping it hardcore-ish. Yeah. I'm going with uh Life of Agony River Runs Red. Hell yes. Absolutely. Yeah. That, take that off my list now. You suck. You suck. Yeah. Yeah. I knew somebody was going to have it. I didn't know quite, but I knew somebody would. But like when that, I, like, as far as I know, Life of Agony music didn't really reach Buffalo until this record came out. But mm-hmm. I'd seen them being written up in magazines and it was like, you know, the name, I, th- I thought the name was kind of cool. What I was hearing about it was pretty cool. <clears throat> the first song I heard from them, was plexiglass gates on one of those east coast empire i think it is comps is that what it was and that song was fucking awesome and it always disappointed me that they would never play it whenever i saw them but they did start to incorporate the first half of the song into their intro Mm -hmm. uh which was like a fucking tease i was like what are you doing like but when this record came out like me and my group of friends at the time we could like relate to pretty much every song on there and even the like the little uh skits the little like uh answering machine skits it was like that pertained to some part of our lives whether it was in the moment or you know when we were in high school elementary school or whatever like that record really spoke to like each of us even though the respect song is kind of corny but i get it everybody had their respect song at the time like everything changed from unity to respect and it was just like whatever <clears throat> but you know, fucking records great, <clears throat> so good. I mean, you know, for most people, it's either you love the vocals, or you hate the vocals, and uh, I think the vocals obviously are just out of this world. Yeah, and yeah, they're great. I'm not a, I'm not a fan of the band at all, but I do like those vocals a lot. Like, there's, mm-hmm. like when I heard it, I was like, there's nothing like this. Like, it was just, um. That that's what really separated me. Like it, it just didn't hit me the way it did a lot of people. But I always respected the vocals. Like they're just really, really fucking good. Really mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Um. I, I in Buffalo, I just remember. Uh, I don't know the more continental crowd. Yeah, they played the continental, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, they did. I went to that show. It was horrible. <laughs> was it? No. The, the oh, last it was so time- bad. The last time I saw Life Agony was probably on a Gigantor. Um, it was after <laughs> your Stone Temple Pilots record had come out. So it was maybe like 2005. And they were playing at like 10 in the morning because, you know, they rotate uh, every day, you know, their start times. And uh, they, they, they were terrible because they sounded like Stone Temple Pilots who were awful. Yeah. Um, were they? Know. Were they awful? Well, 
Well, the first one <laughs> I can back a couple songs. Cracker Man's a pretty good song. Cracker you know? Man. Um, <laughs> I, I will say the first time, the first time I saw Life of Agony was at the Icon with Typo Negative and Stick. I feel like Billy may have been there. No. Oh. <laughs> 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 I know, like, Bows and a bunch of those other people were there. Um, maybe Todd Cummings was there. Yeah, he's like, yeah, LOA maybe. Super, super fan. <clears throat> Where's um, that dude? You know, Todd you Cummings, a, f- a funny story about him and Life of Agony. I, he actually proposed to his wife when Life of Agony played the Continental one time. And oh. um, he, he, like, told all of us now. I'm of a different opinion of everybody here. I like nothing about Life Agony. I think they're a horrible band all around. <laughs> but I went to that show to see that. But that was the night of our first Kill vs. Smith dance party. And oh, so yeah. I missed one of the best friends for proposing to his wife during one of the worst bands ever. Oh, no way. <laughs> Easy. They're, Easy. Still, they're still married, though. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, I'm just saying that. River Runs I said, Red is I, fantastic. Really? I can't I can't say anything about the rest, but River Runs Red is fucking fantastic. Wait, wait. Weeds is the best song Life Agony ever did. Okay. If it's Blue not on River Runs songs, Red, I weed. disagree. Came out in 97. <laughs> Man, no way. Weeds is awesome. Well, listen. Got, so listen. The, listen the first time my... I saw them, the first time I saw them were Typo Negative and Stick. Typo Negative brought, attracted the crowd that in Buffalo Typo Negative attracts. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and I've seen on our Instagram some people have tried to rewrite their history, and I'm not going to say it here, but I was there. I saw how some things went down, and I saw who went where. Just saying. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did tell the story of Todd getting married on this podcast before, so it's nice that Billy uh, lent some credence to it and and, and back <laughs> that it was a true story, not me just talking out of my ass. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> All right, let's keep it going. Larry, you're up. All right, you're up. Uh, here's a fastball down the center. Uh, Sepultura beneath the remains. There you go. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. That, that was, was on my list later. That, that I, didn't put, the- I, I didn't put that album on my list because I knew someone would pick it, so I picked a different one that I really like. <laughs> just, f- just, just as much with an Ohio connection, too, though, so. That was connections. Man. I know we were done with that. Uh, yes, that one was the first record of them by them I had heard, and then I went back and listened to Schizophrenia, and then I was all primed for the follow up in '91, and I went to that new Titan show with them and Sick of It All and Napalm Death and Sacred Reich. Yeah. And I gotta tell hey, you, same story. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta tell you, as awesome as, as Sick of It All is live. Um, I can't speak for every time I've seen Sepultura, but that show, they owned everybody on that bill that night. Sepultura made everybody just look like rank amateurs. And people were working hard at that gig, man. All ba- all the bands were amazing, but Sepultura just came out and they're like, this is our gig and we're, we're taking over this whole, you know. And it was at the Agora Theater, so like it was a packed house and just, I was 18. It was such a good show. Such a great show. I went with uh, size 14, used to do crunch face with me and stuff. And um, we used to go all the metal shows together. John wouldn't go to any of them, so I'd always go with Rick. <laughs> but yeah, that, that record's just awesome. 
one of the things I read a long time ago was that they were still struggling with their English and Scott Burns had to help them write some of the lyrics and it, his Max's accent at that time just made his vocal sound so unique because it was so affected by the way he was singing. It just, you know, um, it made it memorable. Yeah. Out of your head. Yeah. It was just, his phrasing was different because of his accent and it, it was great, man. I love that record. Um, I don't, there, there's not a record there's like, well, yeah, there are, there is a record there's I dislike, but <laughs> save that for a I bet are I know there Max, are good. there Max records that you dislike? Oh yeah, for sure. Oh God. For sure. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, you know, and this is heresy for a lot of people. I have zero use for chaos AD or roots. Like uh, I was, Mark, kick like, him out. He's done. It's, He's done. It's, kick him out. That's not, that's not what I want from the band. That's not what I want. Larry's um, got a point. Right, I, I, I can get down with KSD. Uh Roots, though, is just pure new metal crap. It's Ross. I agree. Roots is garbage. Ruined it. You know. Yeah. I, I can't completely disagree with them. I, I don't mind either of those albums, but really, compared to like Beneath the Remains and Arise, that was Sepultura at their prime. Yeah. All right. Am I up? Well, I'm not. I'm not you guys. So my stuff is. Kind of sticking to hardcore. Wait, wait, hold on. I, I, I have a feeling I know what you're going to pick. So yeah. after you do, if I'm correct, I'm going to let you know. Because okay. I was thinking about, I'm like, what's Mark? I, pick? I, I also think that I know what you're going to pick. So we'll see which one of us is right. All right. Nickelback, Silver Side. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah, okay, oh, I was you're totally wrong. <laughs> I, was say, that gave me a I knew I was right. <laughs> Is that what you thought I would pick? They go back totally. But my pick you actually endorse, is Shelter Water. Is Shelter Mantra? Which ah, is that I what you thought I was going to pick? No, I was yeah, wrong. It was it was one of two, and that's one I would have chose for you. <laughs> I know you one, know what the other one is, but we'll get to that if we get yes. to that. Yeah. Um. So I mean, I think Shelter Mantra is the best Shelter album. And I mean, other people think that the other shit is, but this is the best Shelter album. <laughs> Appreciation, uh, great song, great fake youth crew song, um, <laughs> and the song um, "Empathy." Such a great song. Like Ray Capo for all of his Ray Capo stuff is like lyrically, songwriting is awesome. Like the way he puts stuff together, the ideas he has are great. No matter what, I don't know. He's just great. I just I just think it's a great album. It's very catchy, which is cool. Um, I'm surprised. I mean, I'm not surprised they didn't get big off of it because I mean they're they're Hare Krishnas, so why why would they get big? But they did. They did. In they what kind out, of way? They were, out, they were out with the Sex Pistols, yeah. you know, for like six shows during that. You know, they they were out with no like, doubt. They went out with no doubt. But they were what did I do for them? Shelter was everywhere. Their, their, their posters are in episodes of Friends. They they sure. were yeah. big when that record came out. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, I think Shelter's great. I mean, I think this is a great album. Um, even the rapping song is good. <laughs> that pre-rap song. Listen, dude, you, you can put on uh, Earth Crisis from All Out War. There's rapping on it. So, I mean, people got to get over it. <laughs> You know. And I just, I mean, yeah, I think, I just think it's a great album. Um, I don't got a whole lot else to say about it, but I think it's highly underrated. I think people like to pick the earlier stuff, but I think this is peak shelter. I mean, maybe Attain Supreme might be better in my mind, but 
I think ah. I, I think it's good. Ah. I was listening to listening to it today. <laughs> but you know, I, I think it's good. Like the lyrical content is good, the music is good. It's just I like shelter. The, the production on that album is is second to none. And when they did the the message of the Bhagavad seven inch first came out, um, I I was just floored um, by the musicianship on it was yeah. like holy crap, you know uh, all the, the the bass tones are fantastic. Obviously, I've I've always thought Ray had some of the most introspective lyrics, and what I like about him is like um, he always gave someone something to think about. Definitely, and. You know, I kind of miss that in a lot of modern hardcore. There's there's not a lot of intellectuals out there because, let's yeah. face it, it's America. People don't like smart people in America. Yeah. They call them elites. That's, that's <laughs> right. Larry, you could back me up. You're an educator. People do yeah. not like educators. They don't like kids being educated. You know. I, you, what's the thing going around now? They, they won't trust us to, to pick their library books, but they want us to carry guns. Yes. Exactly. That's, <laughs> Speaking of yeah. this album, though, when it came out, me and Phil Barrios, for some reason, drove to Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania to go see Shelter H2O and VOD in a coffee house. Nice. <laughs> I would not do That's that nice. today, but it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, there's literally nothing in Wilkes-Barre that's worth going to after the year 2000, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I used to go to a lot of shows in Wilkes-Barre. I used to see Turmoil there, Despair there. It was a, it was a happening place. I, I, I mean, I feel like it's for hardcore. Wilkes-Barre still is. Yeah, there's nothing else there. It, like, beyond that. Yeah, you know? I mean, yeah, we used, I used to play there all the time. Um, it was that big, uh, like abandoned factory that they did a lot of the shows in. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but yeah, I, I honestly, uh, it, it's, <coughs> that's a fantastic, and that's not Roadrunner. That's Super Soul. That's why it asked about Super Soul. It's Roadrunner, man. Yeah. It's Roadrunner. Road it says Roadrunner on the package. <laughs> <laughs> see, that, see, but that's not true. There's a lot of record labels that'll just do the manufacturing and distribution of of a thing that's not on the label, you know. Yeah, but that that was a, I mean, it was just well known. Shelter was on Roadrunner. Yes, Ray, they let Ray put Super Soul on there. It, yeah. it was a Roadrunner album. Well, no, it's yeah, the same I mean, that was... thing. Like uh, Hatebreed would always put Stillborn <clears throat> on it, even though they had signed to a major label. At that point, you'd still see the Stillborn yeah. to as long as they lines. So yeah, Super Soul, you know, with VOD and Shelter, I I would say that those are Roadrunner releases. Um, yeah, absolutely. Don't tip your picks, uh, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Fully backed. And, All right. And, you know, I and I have a Shelter tattoo, so I have to say that I like I was, that. I was just about to say, which arm is it on? Uh, that one. There it is. Yeah. Nice. Woo. There it is. You know? All right. Uh, that is that is not my favorite shelter record, but I do agree that that is peak shelter. What's That's your favorite shelter record? Yeah. Perfection of Desire, but I'm that guy. Ooh, okay. man. <laughs> Are you seventy six percent uncertain about it, though? <laughs> no, I'm 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 all in. That record, right. that perfection's <laughs> off. Everything up until um, Mantra was just unstoppable after that it's it's real hit and miss i you know yeah until on, man, it's all gold all gold no <laughs> I, I, feel like, uh, I feel like mantra was the last honest record and by honest i mean they weren't trying they were doing what they were doing and not trying to appeal to like a broader audience that didn't care about them yeah, yeah. there was no ska song 
no pop right. punk. And then, pop, and then pop, even punk. like the records, right. And even the records after that, when they tried to go back to appealing to hardcore kids, but they didn't get it because they weren't hardcore kids anymore. Like Mantra was like the last pure shelter record. Yeah. All right. I'll buy that for sure. Yeah. I'll buy I'll that buy, for I'll go back everything. <laughs> I made mean, the entire shelter discography on the way to Detroit once. Yeah. And uh, he was going to oh. kill me at the end. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, Mike, you're up. All right. So obviously Roadrunner, um, I, I love 90% of their catalog, um, mm-hmm. except for Nickelback. 19? Mark is the only one who likes Nickelback, I think. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, Nickelback. One. I'll do a hardcore pick uh, right off the bat, and I'm going to go with uh, Biohazard Urban Discipline. Nice. That record to this day, um, Chamber Spins 3 comes on. I'm going to, you know. I'm going to spit on someone. I'm going to kick a hole in a wall. <laughs> Except now, now that I'm old and I have kids, it's suburban discipline because I live in the suburbs. <laughs> you know, so. That is the best Biohazard album, too. It is. It is. The production is perfect. Danny Schuler's playing on it is just amazing. You know, uh, I still listen to it now. And, you know, 30 years later, almost 30 years later, and it, I still like, man, why do I even bother playing drums? Because Danny Schuler's like the greatest. Mm-hmm. And and the, the genuine anger that those guys had at the time, because there, there was a lot of backlash from from hardcore bands that had been around longer, who felt that Biohazard did not to, didn't deserve to be in the position they were in, um, you know, which sucks. Um, you know, I guess Biohazard has the last laugh because they sold six and a half million, you know, six and a half million records, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that record, Jesus, uh, I know no, it's. it's- <clears throat> finish, finish your thought oh, I'm, I'm just going to ramble so keep going Chris oh, okay so I talking about Urban Discipline like I remember when Urban Discipline came out and I was, a, I was a Biohazard fan someone who remained nameless brought the Biohazard demo back uh, summer of 89 from a college orientation and among the demos that he brought back that was one that got a lot of like play from us the first record loved it awesome agnostic front record <laughs> urban discipline they really found their own like lane and ran with it and it was a great record i remember when it came out how good it was but i also remember a lot of hardcore kids didn't fuck with it yep. and a lot of metal kids didn't fuck with it because it wasn't hardcore and it wasn't metal you know <clears throat> and like we were kind of like you know when i lived in <clears throat> illinois at the time excuse me sorry i was fucking around with some people jamming on some instruments talking about like biohazard record and it was metal dude just being like that's the worst record i've ever heard i was like like what <laughs> you know so it's it's interesting to see like how biohazard won people over how for a long time people didn't acknowledge them as a hardcore band but now they're definitely like you say new york hardcore biohazard is right there absolutely you know, like biohazard their early shows they were playing lamore's not cbs you know it was like a different like it's interesting how time well, Lemoore is the metal capital of Brooklyn. Right. You know, everyone's just like, oh, if they're playing Lemoore's, that's a, it's a metal band. But they, they definitely weren't. You know, here's the thing. To this day, whenever I see Scott Dressler, we will still argue whether the first record or Urban Discipline is better. And he clearly loses the argument every time because Urban Discipline is far superior. Um but it's a, a very Buffalo thing. You know, all, all yeah. of Dressler's friends, they were like, oh, I, I like the first record. Urban Discipline's terrible. It's like, dude, come on now. 
you you literally went from like listening to straight edge hardcore to bands that are like sound like pantera mixed with uh anthrax <clears throat> you know it, it, i i just don't get you guys what the hell it's okay think for yourself it's okay urban discipline is the better biohazard album there's no way around it, it is i'll agree with that it, it is the better biohazard record like i said the first one's an awesome agnostic front record Yes, I would dare say that Urban Discipline is the first Biohazard record. Wake exactly. up to the, it's their thing doing their thing. They had that like it started to add that like bounce element, that groove, absolutely. Danny's drumming really came out on it. You know, like it's Urban Discipline is really where it begins. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, um, I don't know. For me, uh, when we write songs with bands, I mean, there's always like a pick it up deluxe part. <laughs> you gotta get that in there. You gotta get that pick it up and that that groove going. Um, so. Once once upon a time, uh Jesse Muscato said that Danny Schuler was his number one drum inspiration. Well, he's a smart man. That's why he said it. Yeah, I don't know if he still does, but he did once. <laughs> I know at least around here, like in Akron, I, I can't really speak to Cleveland, but in Akron, none of the hardcore kids are fucking with biohazard at the time. Like we were all just like, nope. Nope and nope, but they were the biggest gateway band for all the metalheads in this town to get into hardcore from there. They heard Urban Discipline, and for some reason, just it clicked with them. Sure. Um, I'm not a fan, but I will co-sign anybody who says that Danny Schuler is a great drummer. He is a great drummer because a lot of people who look at that, they're like, oh, he's just trying to do hip hop. He's like, no, he actually has swing too. There's space and he has space in what he's playing. And a lot of dudes who try to do hip hop beats mixed with like hardcore, they don't have that space. They don't create enough space. It's just, it's just like, they're, they're too busy. And he like, he swings with it in a way that a lot of other drummers just don't, they just don't do it, you know? No. And I'll make a ridiculous comparison, but only to other people. You might actually get this, Larry. Um, Peter Chris from Kiss has a whole swing style throughout. Yep. So if you listen to his drumming on Detroit Rock City versus Eric Singer, who's from Cleveland, by the way, um, yeah. <laughs> Eric is more stiff with his his drumming style. Um, but Danny Schuler definitely has that bounce and that flow to, to to fill those gaps in a way that a lot of a lot of drummers were either too busy or too mechanical at the time. He was he was he was come off coming off his snare with more of his fills than say like a lot of other drivers where everything was just, you know, this and it's all arms. And he was like doing, you know, coming with little rolls off of his, you know, using his wrists. So that's, that's there's some fills on that record that, you know, are Tom's combined with double bass uh, syncopated, you know, the last hits are syncopated on the snare. Um, It took me like years to learn how to do them. Um, It's just, you know, there, there are some bands, it's like you figure it out in an afternoon. You know, if you want to learn how to play biohazard stuff, you got to put some serious time into figuring out how to do it. Yeah. I remember when Urban Discipline came out, and uh, that's when I started writing for like a local metal magazine called Late at Night. And I was only like 15 or 16, so I thought it was a much bigger deal than it was. And I remember mm-hmm. the guy who published it. Uh, just coming into one of my the band I was in, we were recording. He's like, "I've got something for you," and he gave me a copy of Urban Discipline like about a month or two before it actually hit the shelves. And I thought it was the biggest deal, and I was so stoked on it. Um, and uh, but one other thing, like when Chris said that like metalheads and hardcore kids weren't into it. Here, I don't know if you were living in Buffalo at the time, 
but at that point in time, I was definitely friends with a lot more metalheads. As like, I was going to hardcore shows, but I wasn't really friends with anybody. And all the metalheads I knew here were really into Biohazard, which started with the first album. Yeah. And uh, I, I kind of blame Biohazard for ruining the Buffalo metal scene. <laughs> well, I think as Corn did as did as did. Well, no, Corn really took it to the next level. But yeah, they it, started with Bio, it started with Biohazard. Because like, going to more metal shows at first, and then seeing those bands change. First, and, first it was cool because it was like, just in a stage presence way. But then when, when Daphne like, broke up, and what they started turning into, like after Banished, kind of yep. was like a little too much. Eh. And it's, it's, so interesting. <clears throat> it's so interesting that you say that because like Buffalo had such a prolific metal scene with like, you know, Cannibal Corpse, uh, uh, Baphomet, uh, others that are slipping in my mind. Uh, what was it? Beyond Infection. Death. <clears throat> Grotesque Infection. <clears throat> and then Mortal Terror biohazard happens and then you end up with bands like skinned uh you know i'm sure i can't think of any of the other ones but you know what i'm talking about and it's interesting right. how no. like how it like really kind of corrupted and perverted the buffalo metal scenes like fucking no wonder cannibal course moved to florida <laughs> yeah yeah basically yeah i mean i didn't get here until august of 93 and that was literally you know the death metal scene was in its last throes here for for quite a while Oh, it was like um, five people at that start point. Like, say that yeah, again? it was like five people. It was like five people at that point. Well, Mom yeah. Bell and the people who hung around with him, and like exactly. that was it. Um, but uh, but honestly, I think Corn had more to do it. If if you want to be honest, Roadrunner Records is the record label that ruined death metal in Buffalo because all of those <laughs> death metal dudes listen to Roadrunner death metal bands, and then Roadrunner starts putting out Corn and New Metal, and all those guys just gravitated over to New Metal bands. So it, yeah. it all honestly think about it, you know. Um, no, it's, I, I, you're not wrong on that. Like you're definitely not wrong on that. And there was a handful of purists who held out, you know, like Lamont Bell, Godzilla, a couple others, but not many. Yeah, yeah, and and um, I mean that's why you had people in Niagara Falls, you know, they they still wear backpacks when they're playing guitar. You know, that's Roadrunner's fault. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we got to move. We got to move on. Enough biohazard. Never enough. <laughs> Never enough. enough. All right. So my next release, again, speaking about old school death metal and with a more of a Niagara Falls connection than uh, Buffalo would be the Deicide self-titled album. So good. <laughs> that was the first death metal album I ever owned. Because I remember, like, again, being like, I think I was like 14 at that time when that came out, and being told about this radio show called Metal Mayhem on 91.3 with the host, the psycho. And um, he played the Deicide, you know, the song Deicide, and I loved it. And I went to a record store right away and bought the cassette. And I, and I still love it. So yeah, a man. little sidebar <laughs> off of that. Psycho Mark Amundsen. I actually reached out to him today to be on the episode, but I don't think he saw the message because uh, he went from he ended up working at Roadrunner for a number of years. Oh, nice! Oh, that's right. Like, I remember like, hearing that. Yeah, he played a big part in Typo Negative getting everything they got. Wow! You mean a, you mean a shitty nine record deal they couldn't get out of because that was the big thing they always complained about? 
Well, not, <laughs> probably partially that, Anything but also like the the some of those records that sold up into like gold or whatever. Like he had a part in that. Wasn't the origin of the VCs, that's for sure. <laughs> like I said, man, this is a complex label. There's there's so much like limited to three. I, I like my list is like 15, and I had a hard time scaling it down from like 50, you know. You'll, so have some, you'll have some honorable mentions at the end. You can throw in all your stuff at the end and tell us what you didn't get to pick. So. You know I we, will. We picked, the, we picked the right people to be on this episode. Definitely. <laughs> we, we would have been done by now. All right, that's that's that. <laughs> Pretty much. My favorite Deicide song, hands down, Carnage in the Temple of the Damned. Oh, my yeah. God. This song is so good. Well, it's, let's let's, it's, let's talk about Glenn Benton burning the cross into his head and how he used to tell his kids he fell and tripped in church, and that's how he <laughs> the inverted cross in his head. What? That's all right. So yeah. he, he literally burned an inverted cross into his forehead. Yeah. And when he he didn't have kids at the time, so by the time he did, his daughter would ask what happened, and he said he tripped in church and fell on a cross, and that's what was stuck in his head there. Wow. Um, that's great. <clears throat> When that first record came out, there was that dude, Bob Larson, who had that radio show. He's like this Christian evangelist guy. And occasionally Glenn Benton and him, would, Glenn Benton would call in and pretend like he was possessed by demons and stuff. And Bob Larson would like try to exercise him on air. And it was the most hilarious stuff I've ever heard in my entire life, you know. Um, That's awesome. That, that, I like Legion and I like records after that. But that first one, it's just, it's so good. You know, they got about five records in of a nine record deal and they just started turning in anything because they can get out of their contract more quickly and then they could start putting out better records again. And that was the problem with Roadrunners. They, they signed, bands were so happy to be signed that they took these ridiculous amount of records. And it's like, how many bands even put out nine records? Seriously. And that's the thing. You, yeah. you put out a record with your band, you do three records, but you signed a nine record deal. So your band breaks up and then you're still under contract with the label for the next band you do for another six that you own. And, you know, that, well, that's, you get two, you get two best of a couple of live records and then the comeback record and you're out. Well, well, that's the roadrunner <laughs> way, right? Yeah. But the, well, the, the two for one and then the best of. It's funny yep. when you think about it, because maybe not back then, there's no way anybody could have predicted this, but, and I think those, long-term deals are nuts but if you think about the track record of how long a lot of metal bands from the 80s through now have been around signing them to nine record deals for the at least on the labels part not a bad idea i mean i mean look sodom and creator are still making records you know and i mean imagine imagine if they had been on noise records or uh, yeah noise was was doing creator at the time imagine if noise had them for nine albums i mean yeah, that that would have been, I mean, that, but Creator wound up putting out records on like Pavement, um, which was barely, I would even consider a label, um, considering who owned it and ran it at the time. You know, that's that's where, where death metal bands went to die, you know, um, they made it out alive. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I, I can't even, fa it's one thing if you're playing like pop music, I understand like a nine record deal makes sense. When you're playing death metal, it's like how big of a window you think this actually has, you know, um, nine records is a lot i mean most people can't even back like all of iron maiden's catalog or megadeth metallica slayer the bigger bands you know um i think it's even harder sell if you're trying to get someone to back the entire deicide catalog yeah but like say like how many records did sepultura have before 
Max was out. Like I want to say at least five or six. Like they were they were getting there. They they had like four or five. Yeah, Mo- Mo- Visions wasn't on Roadrunner at all. No. And I think Schizophrenia Roadrunner just reissued. I don't think it originally came out on Roadrunner. Yeah, it was licensed. But I'm saying like Roadrunner is looking at like, okay, this band is like five records deep. We can totally get nine out of people. All right. Well, Roadrunner gets their their business models second to none. I mean, you know, they, they wound up partnering with Warner Brothers later on, buying other other labels and starting labels specifically for certain demographics, like when they started Loud and Proud Records, that was for people who were like 40 and up who were into like hair metal, you know. Um, they've been very smart with the game, but, you know, uh, nine records is, is insane for any band at all. So here, wait, let me ask this question. So why would a label want to assign a band to a nine album deal? Well, what's in it for them? <laughs> Dude, um, just one of those records goes like multi-million, <clears throat> like... So they're gambling. They're just, they're just I, I feel like they would just be trying, yeah, they're gambling and just trying to control a career and make sure that they don't miss out on any money opportunities. Okay. Yeah. Plus they have the option of them of keeping the artists when the band breaks up. Exactly. Yeah. You know, that's that's why you know you see a lot of bands um <clears throat> break up, but the members wind up on the same record label for the next band and the next band and the next band because they're contractually mm-hmm. they haven't been released by the label. Mm-hmm. You know. I see. Interesting. This major yeah. label talk. Interesting. Or label. It is. It is. <clears throat> that's the thing. Roadrunner was never a major label until like the mid two thousands. You know, yeah. they, that was that was your underground label. Um, you know, they were like the epitaph of the metal world. You know. Yes. Yeah. You know, Makes a good sense. example of why that works out would be the Goo Goo Dolls, because Metal Blade Blade owned their contract. Yeah, and even though they started being distributed by Warner Brothers, when by the time the Goo Goo Dolls started taking off, Metal Blade still owned them under contract. So Warner Brothers had to buy them from Metal Blade, and I'm sure Metal Blade made out really good on that deal. Sure, they did. Yeah, <laughs> it's business, man. America, America. All right, America. America. The streets where it belongs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh chris you're up so, yeah i am up so i'm gonna go with uh token entry jaybird ah i knew that yeah. was that, that came out on hawker <laughs> records a subsidiary of roadrunner uh one of only like i want to say six releases on hawker yeah no for an answer yeah, we're not gonna say them don't tip like your don't tip lists. your picks yeah don't don't <laughs> tip your picks uh no Jaybird was a great record. Like it, I think it still holds up. I think if Jaybird came out today, it would be a huge record. Um, it's no way to the world, but it's pretty good. Oh, way to the world. Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say, like, if they had put out a strong follow-up, token entry would have done much better instead of way to the world. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they were thinking. Like. Uh, Bands get bands get to that point where they have to make a conscious decision where you stay the course and you sell the same amount of records, or you take a chance and you try and see if you can increase your fan base and your bottom line. Mm-hmm. You know, but you so know what? There's times, there's like 13 different chances they could have taken. <laughs> that was the wrong one. <laughs> it's like it's like a it's like a 
Doctor Strange. There are a million different like outcomes. There's only one. Yeah, all of the outcomes, and that's the one you're going <laughs> like, hey, let's be a fifth-rate Red Hot Chili Peppers cover band. This will be awesome. This will make well, money. If, if that was hot at the time, though, right? If that's Maybe the case, for, for Chili Peppers, and that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> nice. But, I mean, Jaybird, it was awesome. It was melodic. It had heavy parts. There were reasonably, I don't want to say political, but socially conscious songs on it. Mm-hmm. Like in a great cover. Absolutely. Ernie's art was on point at that time. Like it's such it a good is. Yeah, it still is. Still, it still is. is. <laughs> <clears throat> like iconic. I don't I, I know that there are a lot of token entry diehards, but I don't feel like they get talked about with the same reverence and relevance as other New York hardcore bands. Yeah, no way. They never did though. No, no. Yeah. And one of the and best that, band names and logos uh, ever. Absolutely. And if you don't live in New York City, you don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> what was that, Billy? I said they're one of the best New York bands ever. Yeah. Absolutely. I think they're better than most of the big bands. Yeah, I would I would stand by that. And and they prove like it always bothered me when people are like, oh, the New York hardcore sound. And it's like, well, what's the New York hardcore sound? Token entry, absolution. Mm-hmm. Burn like what is the New York hardcore sound? They're like oh no, you know like Madball like that's that's one piece of it. Definitely, sure. You know, like the New York the New York hardcore sound is so diverse. That's true, but it, it, listen, man, <coughs> what other people hear sometimes is very different than what you think it may be. Um, you know, uh, Juggernaut played with Abnegation in Erie last week, and uh, you know, EMS was it EMS or maybe it was Adam from Disciple was like, man, you know that classic Buffalo sound juggernaut has. I'm like, really? You know? <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty sure we don't have that sound. You know, yeah. I mean, just I'm Buffalo's version of herpes and I don't go away. <laughs> That's about the only, the only thing there. But I mean, I guess what, what we might perceive it as because we live here is different than what outsiders do. Same yeah. way, you know, so the New York hardcore to someone who doesn't live there is, is very different. Than someone who does mm-hmm. you know but i think every band ernie does is amazing true 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 but we'll get to those <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah we will all right, all right larry uh, you're somebody, up if somebody else wants to wax poetic it's larry um larry, you're up. so i got i have a pick that um there are a couple hardcore bands i could have went with but i decided to go with another metal band um, and this record is like the one song in particular is more important than the whole record. And there are a ton of hardcore connections with this band. I went with a whiplash power and pain. Yeah. Um, nice. Into Tony, another connections. Yeah. Tony, Tony Bono played with into another, uh, Tony Scaglione, not only notably. Alarm. Yeah. For, with cause for alarm in the mid nineties and notably saddened for Dave Lombardo for a hot second and, 87 like 96 maybe yeah Wasn't he also in uh, was that the guy that was in north side kings yeah they're nothing I, to fuck with though yeah I, I i i don't know for sure but um when i when i was when the record first came out a buddy of mine gave me like this mixtape and there were a lot of bands i hadn't heard of yet on at that point and the song warmonger was on there and that song just totally and the fact that the band had three guys named tony 
in the band. They were just a three piece and they were from New Jersey guys from AF did backups on that record. And, uh, Tony, Tony Pitaro's vocals and guitar playing are really, really good on that record. Nobody talks about that guy. That, that song's awesome. The whole record is, is good, but that song is outstanding. The artwork, the artwork, I think, always killed them because it's yeah, their Sean, silly almost. They, for they, thought, they thought they might be able to get that rub because they had some Sean Taggart artwork, but it's seriously one of the dumbest record covers I've ever seen. Absolutely. What is it? Oh, like, what does it look like? It's it, it's it's like it's a cartoon. There you go. This. Hold on. Oh yeah, that's horrible. It's it's like Sean Tiger. Yes. Yeah, it's like oh, Sean it for, for a thrash band at the time. That is absolutely awful. It's like his bad low rent version of Heavy Metal magazine that he was trying to do yeah. here. And I love heavy metal, so this is kind of insulting to me. <laughs> this, but this record is is great. I mean. They, they do have a song called Stage Dive on here, which is kind of kind of odd, given that they have another song called Stirring the Cauldron, you know. <laughs> you know, but I wonder, I like, I wonder record. if they went to, uh, to Taggart's, like, studio and were like, okay, we've got, like, 50 bucks. What do you have? And like, here you go. <laughs> what's, in your, what's in your eighth grade portfolio that we can use? Yeah. yeah. You got the In My Eyes deal with uh, Pusshead? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, listen, though, Larry... You mentioned the three Tonys. Now, you know, Buffalo was famous for a, a group with three Tonys. What's that? Tony, Big Tony, fellas. Tony. Not from Buffalo. Oh, come on. What are you talking about? Group from the early 90s. They're not from Buffalo, are they? They're from Lackawanna. You're thinking of Joe Public. No, no. Tony, Tony, Tony has roots here, too. Really? I think we have to look that up because... Uh... I remember Lackawanna being of a particular demographic, and it's Oakland, California. Tony, Tony, Tony. Yeah, no way. I'm just gonna I'm gonna blame Sprig on that one. You're thinking yeah, of Joe Public, who we will have on this show one day. Joe Public I hope will be on the show. <clears throat> As I'm looking back, this they recorded this at Systems Two in Brooklyn, and that was a studio that a lot of people went to, for better or worse. Yeah. I think Biohazard did their first one there. Yeah, the Maze record album. And uh, a couple other notable records, and some of them just don't sound good. But this this one sounds gnarly. His vocals are great. Like I said, he's a he was a really he I haven't seen him play, but I mean he was a really good guitar player. Everybody in the band was good, but yeah, so I went with this one. I like the record a lot, but the song itself specifically was a huge deal. Mm -hmm. yeah, he, he drew this picture in eighty five. He must have been fucking Dustin or something. I don't know. This, <laughs> this shitty record cover. These guys deserve better. <laughs> this is I, I mean, it's, it's in the same vein as Fistful of Metal from Anthrax, though. And um, Yeah. That, that is a terrible... But, that, but it makes that one look good. Well, yes, that's true. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't argue with that. I can, at least, I can at least say, well, at least Fistful of Metal looks like, you know this intense hey these, these guys getting punched through the face right and i don't know what what this is a robot head squeeze uh, it, yeah but i don't know man it's just that's fucking it's awful yeah, it's, it's a awful. terminator meets max headroom yeah totally. it's something it's something man. <laughs> but yeah that that was that's my second pick i i like i, I love that song i do like that record ticket to mayhem the one that the follow-up is pretty good too um yeah. 
that was on um, Roadrunner, and I don't mind giving up that nod because I don't know if anybody else would have ticket to Mayhem on their list. I and think Billy you're might, saying Billy that might, might, but you know, <laughs> I'm hedging my bets here. So, <laughs> listen, man, I, I, I seriously consider putting Whiplash on there, but I'm like, you know, because I don't know you, I'm like, ah, maybe he did, and and you went there. You know, yeah. the thing I don't, I don't think these guys are, are fans of Into Another. You know, I think just I am. So, um, yeah. I don't know if they would. I like work. Into Another well enough. Yeah, I like Into Another, but amazing. Not a fan. <laughs> it took me a while to warm up to Into Another. I, I used to not like them at all, but now I think they're great. Yeah, I feel like it's an age thing. You hit a you hit a certain age, and it starts to make sense. Yeah, we have more patience as a, a more discerning listener of music as, you, as you're older. You know more about it. You know what goes into it. You can appreciate someone's skill level, songwriting abilities when you're older. Definitely. I mean, then again, when you're older too, I go back and there's a lot of stuff that I used to like 30 years ago that I completely dismiss now because I realize now it's garbage. You know? <laughs> like what? Just kidding. <laughs> I'm not going there. No. <laughs> that really- a lot of stuff from the grunge era that I thought was was cool is oh just yeah really even really then I knew it was bad. Come on, give me one thing that was bad that you thought was good then, but bad now. Dinosaur Junior. I never liked Dinosaur Junior. So yeah, <laughs> and and yeah. I only did because they were in like every skate video, you know, like they were in the blind video and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're doing Cure covers and stuff. So I, I thought it was cool, you know. And then later on, I was just like, this is complete shit, man. Like, <laughs> I, I often question people cool. like people who are super dinosaur junior fans i question everything about them yeah. like everything about them <laughs> like, that's the very core like fucking everything I, I don't i don't have an extreme distaste for them but i just don't get it all my skate friends to this day guys my age pushing 50 like oh i love them like why because they were <laughs> yeah. in, the, they were in the blind video and 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 the the wagon was playing to like Mark Gonzalez's skate parts. So everybody was like, oh, you, had, you checked out Dinosaur Jr. and your favorite skaters liked them. So you liked them. Yeah. You know what I mean? I guess. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just, I'll just, I'll just take Deep Wound. I'll just take Deep Wound over that. That's anyway. a different animal. <laughs> For sure. Mark, you're up. Um, so my second pick, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it in the, the Ernie the camp. Real. I'm going to oh, take boy. Black Train Jack. No reward. Hell yeah. I knew it. I, knew it. I used to have I, I love the I love everything about Black Train Jack. You know, I, I used to have the Black Train Jack logo written on a notebook somewhere and like I I just love Black Train Jack. I think they're awesome. I think uh Rip Rob. Rob died uh this past yeah, year. Yeah, rest in peace, Rob. Um, um two years ago. So or last I, mean, year. I don't know if they were technically they probably were an edge band, but they have a they have a Strange Anthem which makes which is probably only Strange Anthem on anyone's list on this uh on this I, record I think in the beginning they were. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean it's just good. They the album starts off awesome, you know, with the with Lou Gehrig is it's it's cool. Like, you know, the is Babe Ruth on the cover? <clears throat> uh, uh, if you want me to get the record, I'll take a look at it. <laughs> it's Lou Gehrig, I think. Is it is it Lou Gehrig? I know it's Lou Gehrig quote, but um Yeah. Lou Gehrig, he died of Lou Gehrig's disease. How did he not see that one coming? <laughs> no, the babe, the babe Ruth's on the cover, but Lou Gehrig. Yeah, number Lou three, Gehrig, babe Ruth. Yeah. Um, um, Le- Leapfrog, best song on the album by far. You think so? Oh God, that 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 melody, that that little guitar lead. 
you know, just how do you like the second record? I love it. We're not in this alone. Or, uh, you're not in this alone. <laughs> you're not alone. <laughs> you're not alone. Yeah. Um, I don't like the uh, the Steve Miller cover. Kind of sucks. Yeah, I think Ernie sings that, so it's a little weird. But the but handout EP has some good stuff on it too. I never heard that. Well, I will get you the tracks if you'd like. Awesome. And it, like Black Train Jack is so New York too, which is another reason why I like him, even though. Absolutely. Even though I'm out on New York these days, <laughs> but but you know why? You know why why do you say it's so New York? Because I think it's very New York. Under a blanket in the middle of Yankee Stadium, pretending to sleep. It's more New York than that. It's very Queens. <laughs> it's very <laughs> Queens. Very Queens. Which is another reason why I like him. Well, there I, it, it feels very Queens to me. But I don't know. I don't know how to describe that. I was talking to Bill about that. About how there's a Queens. There's a Queens rock sound. I don't know how to describe, it, but there is one because I. I had friends and bands who weren't in hardcore bands in Queens, but there is a Queens like kind of rock sound. It, 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 there is. It's the melody, and yeah. it, instead of the, the the chunk and the heaviness, they they were on the melodic side. Yeah. But that's why Black Train Jack was cool because everyone else was just trying to be hard as shit, yeah. and they were like, yeah. "Yeah, we're just gonna show you some good good melody, yeah, you know, some some good punk." And uh, I thought they were an amazing band. They were just on the wrong label at the time. Yeah, I mean that was, yeah, it was, was a right weird. It was that. a weird choice. I wonder if it was a one of those like multi deals and Ernie owed from Token Entry. Yeah, maybe it's possible. It, it didn't, also, Roadrunner didn't make any sense. Like it didn't make any sense why they were on the label. So you know, where that. would they be then if not in Roadrunner? You got to think back at the time. You know, blackout. They, they, yeah, absolutely blackout. One hundred percent. Yeah, and that mm-hmm. sounds like it's possibly given that story that. Uh, Josh Grable just told on the last episode about um, that one cat potentially owing victory another record. I could see how, you know, yeah. maybe he was tied into something. Yeah. Did we leave that story in the, the Vic- yeah. I didn't listen to the episode where uh, yes. it's in there. Yeah. I'm talking about the Soleil and, and, and Joe. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but Nick wound up playing bass in the band though, eventually. Right. I don't know. Nick, Nick, I, I think Nick Georgiatis took Joe's place. I think so, because I only saw Saleya at Mohawk once, and I think that was it as far as Saleya. Back when they had the small, when it was small, I think I saw them there. Yeah. When Mohawk was a lot smaller. Yeah, oh yeah, when yeah. they saw the kitchen, the full kitchen in the back. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah, Black Train Jack, man. I, I dude, I, I still have like my Black Train Jack uh, work shirt that I bought at the Lost Horizon in Syracuse. Was sick of it all? Was sick of it all. Yeah, I was at that show. And they have I, nice. I have that and I also have a black train jack patch which I used to have in my backpack throughout I, the I have 90s. A, I have I have a, a, a brand new t-shirt uh mm-hmm. from the second album. It's yeah. a size large and um even when I got it I was an XL I was hoping I'd always slim down <laughs> to fit into it. You know, never have I I I still have a yellow one with a logo on that I got from from Discovery. Um, yeah. I think it's made of like, you know, crate paper or something because it, it, it it's so thin. It's I'm afraid to wear it. Yeah. Don't want a little too many, too much nipple. I can't wear it out in public. <laughs> Just embrace it, man. Embrace your dad, bud. <laughs> I I will say that I was not a fan of the record when it came out. Like I really, really, really loved the song No Reward on The Only the Strong Comp. Yep. I thought it was fantastic. And I wanted the record to sound like that production, and it didn't. So I that's wasn't not, really that, into That's it. the only song that they wrote that sounds like that. Like 
even close. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I wanted more of that. So it took me a long time to get into Black Train Jack, but I do like the first record. Yeah. And I became pretty friendly with Rob in She's recent greatest. years. He and he's a he was a great guy. Yeah, he was a great guy. Uh, I talked to uh I was at the um the first Civ show, which was in Detroit, Michigan. I talked to weird. I talked to Rob at that show because he was voting for Sickville or something. Because I, I think Black Train Jack had just broken up or something around then. Or they were breaking up or something. And I heard They're something on, on their way out. Yeah, I heard something around then and I was talking to him about that. But yeah, so Rip Rob. I mean, you know, Rob, Nine Lives, the band he did after, um, mm-hmm. you know, with Brian from from Black Train Jack and, yeah. and from Absolution um, was, was an awesome band too. You know, mm-hmm. he, he was a good guy. Um, you know, it, it's very sad what happened to him, but it, man, that guy had some pipes. Super talented, yeah. dude. I listened to some podcast he was on. Like, I didn't realize he was like that talented as far as like, reg- like, was he like an opera singer or something like that? Yes. Something crazy like yeah. that? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Like, like actually trained vocalist. You know? Yeah. Very cool. Very awesome. So who is next? Mike, you're up. That'd be Mike. Man, shit. Um, okay. So I, I, won't go with a, I won't go with a hardcore release. Um, That's for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I'm going to go with Dream Theater, Systematic Chaos. Of course, Dream Theater. <laughs> you know how I love Dream Theater. I do you know, know that. Um, they, left, they left a major label and went to Roadrunner, only for Roadrunner to wind up getting absorbed by Warner Brothers later on, which was the, the total irony of it. But um, during the late 90s, I felt that Dream Theater um, – was succumbing to what most metal bands were doing at the time. They were getting a little grungy, you know, down tuning some of their, their parts. And uh, I thought dream theater, like lost a step when like train of thought came out, but by the time systematic chaos comes out, um, I don't know what they, they were just a reinvigorated band and uh, the speed and the intensity was much more um, James Labrie, uh, I think he gives one of his best vocal performances ever. And obviously Mike Portnoy is always absolutely amazing. Um, you know, and <clears throat> I think it, it brought a lot of people back to that band that had written them off, you know, around 97 and 99 era. Mm-hmm. Now that's one I know no one likes. Cause me, I, I actually like dream theaters ballads better than most of their other stuff. And like, are there songs really long dream theaters? Well, really long if you're not into that style of music. Yeah. You know, I don't I mean long is long, dude. <laughs> yeah, long is long. The they only acceptable seven minute song is written by Zero Tolerance. Everything else is too long. <laughs> you know, just just the fact that they're all they're 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 Berkeley trained musicians, right? So these guys yeah. really are like the best of the best. And um they were never cool, ever, you know. Yeah. Um, it was their second record that had come out. They scored their only number one hit, and that was in 1992 with Pull Me Under. And mm-hmm. they've never had another, another number one hit, you know, or top 10 record since then. But they have just amassed this legion of fans um, that, that just, it looked like uh, we're going to bail on them in the, in, the, in the late 90s, but they totally came back and they, they're bigger and stronger than ever now. Um, <laughs> Because of you, now I know there's a website called progsphere.com. <laughs> you know, listen, man, I am, I am like one paycheck away from buying the, the, the Dream Theater leather jacket. 
I've been threatening so it for 20 years. I, I, will, I will help you out with that because I want to see you walk around in that thing. That would be awesome, right? <laughs> I could do fat guy uh, in a little coat. It'll be awesome. Uh-huh. <laughs> I really don't think anybody will be paid by that. <laughs> Not at all. I, it just makes sense. <laughs> uh, Mike is even more disappointing. That'd be amazing. <laughs> you know, all the metal on this episode, you should name it Secret Battle Vest. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the thing, man. Like, like I, secret battle vest. You know, so th- this is a hardcore podcast. I, I literally could have just went with the, the hardcore releases that are you expect to. But to be honest, I, I mean, I listen to so much more on, on Roadrunner than just the hardcore bands, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that should be but, talked. I mean, this, I is, this is why we music. brought you on. Like, this yeah. is why we brought you guys on, because we knew that you were going to go another direction from us. And that's what we wanted. Yeah. yeah, I mean, definitely. yeah, I certainly, I certainly listened to some of the hardcore bands on Roadrunner, but the metal bands on Roadrunner are the ones that stand out to me for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I didn't want to be all dusty and just pick stuff, you know, from like '88 to like '95. You know, like I, what are you saying? Systematic chaos saying? from 2005, <laughs> which is <laughs> you dusty. What are you saying? You dusty. Don't be, don't metal. be like some West Coast herb. Don't be like some West Coast herb. <laughs> oh man, you think you got a <laughs> lock on the word herb? Come on. Um, <laughs> Just saying. No, no, you know, like, but, but that's the thing. Like, uh, Roadrunner does put out good stuff even to this day. Nickelback. Um, so, so <laughs> just because you have the tattoo, Mark, doesn't mean, uh, wow. <laughs> you know, Mark's going to marry Avril with me next. Just in following the My Nickelback tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, oh, okay. So, so DK loves MM heart tattoo on his left <laughs> bicep. <laughs> um, okay, so Billy, you are up. This right, is the well, last round. The last round. <laughs> lightning round, lightning round. My last pick is obituary cause of death. So I am staying in that year time frame that Mike just talked about because that's the year I really got into metal. Those were the years I got into metal and I was really acquiring a lot. And um, that and Cause of Death is one of the fucking heaviest albums out there. Incredible artwork, the entire album. Every song is heavy. It just has a great mood with the sound effects connecting all the songs. Uh, it's a perfect death metal record. Dude, it's so heavy. <laughs> I think I can see that. I really agree with that. And it has the best Celtic Frost cover, period. Yeah, yeah there's always, yeah. There are other people who have tried it, but they nailed it, partly because, you know, one thing people don't think about obituary is, like, there's a lot of Frost in their sound, at least early on, and, and, and a lot of folks don't recognize that. But And I got, I've seen them a couple of times, too, and they're, they were always great live. Amazing. You know? Even their live records are amazing. And they're just so in the pocket because they're not fast. They're just mid-tempo, mm-hmm. crushing, like a, a, a steady bulldozer. And, and at the time, people, when people thought death metal, they thought just blazing guitars. Now, these guys, they played it slower. And John Tardy's vocals, nobody sounded like him. I mean, he just sounded nobody, like Still nobody sounds like him. No, no, they don't. <laughs> and but that song always- chopped in half. Oh, yeah. chopped in half is like one of the best songs ever. But there was always that rumor that he wasn't even singing words, that he was just, like, making noises, you know. On the first album, that's true. Yeah, well, partially. Yeah. Fully rot, 
I would, has a very minimal number of lyrics. I would, I would start with Cause of Death writing real lyrics, but I would be the first when that's true, you know. But by the end, complete, even though it still sounds like he's retching, there are parts where I'm like, is that even a word, or is he just and I'm okay with it, <laughs> you know. I'm like, all right, it works, man. I'm Wait, not, Larry, are, are you an English teacher? No, I teach special ed. Oh, okay, okay, all right, yeah. You know, because I mean, Rob Halford used to make up words to fit in the Judas Priest song. Like he made up the word desolizating. To fit in <laughs> the name of the name of the name of the episode, desolizating. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's what you had to do, and it, it would bother an English teacher, you know, usually. So I, I huh, maybe Larry doesn't like that, you know. It's, it's especially from like, if you think about it, you know the motherland of that language dude's just butchering it making up words and shit you know Absolutely. now the tardy brothers though they did have a a party foul when working with andrew wk i thought and that that was kind of a bummer they did yeah man that whole party hard era that's the tardy brothers were playing on that and everything oh really yeah I, I well, at least that's that's i actually shouldn't say i know that 100 that gregadeth told me that so no, I think he's right. Now as you mention it, I remember that being the case. Yeah. Like well, you know, was like just... Andrew WK was touring all the time and making money. I think at that point in time, bands like Obituary nobody cared about. I did. You I... did. I, no, I did, but <laughs> you know. But I they weren't they definitely were not. That was a very low point for just death metal in general. That's true. It's like when Sammy played with uh, Limp Biscuit. <laughs> That's a low point. And uh, wait, one, money, of the from, money. one of the what was it, one of the dudes from Chain of Strength was playing with Alien Ant Farm. Alien Ant Farm. Like that's, uh, that's the a, dude. Uh, what Alex Payne, the one who's in World Be Free. Yeah, he was yeah. an Alien Ant Farm. That's 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 bad. Woo. The one who says he's still straight edge Woo. after like doing fucking rails of coke. Yeah, that one. <laughs> well, dude, most of your straight edge gods <laughs> were all doing smoking weed and stuff. Like I'm not straight edge, but I've never smoked weed. So I'm, I'm my not- only god. I am my god. <laughs> like Marauder, you're, you're, you're Kid Rock, man. That's what you are. <laughs> ball with the ball, the bang, the bang, bitty bitty. Whatever. <laughs> man, he's your future uh, president. You know that, right? I'm down. Stop man. it. Tommy Stop Lee's going to be his vice president. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it's going to be the fucking worst thing. It's literally going to be idiocracy in this country. <laughs> Is the guy from Stained going to be like the Secretary of State or something? <laughs> oh, Secretary of Defense. <laughs> what about the guy from uh, what's the name of that band? The uh, Walking on, the Walking on the Sun band, isn't that? Aren't those guys Trumpy? Uh, I don't know what band that is. Smashed Mouth. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The, yeah, that guy's. Didn't they kick him out of the band because he went all right wing? <laughs> There's that other guy. What about the guy from that band? Uh, what's the band? Headstrong band. What, what band is that? Trapped. Yeah, that guy's gonna be in there too. <laughs> He should be the Secretary of Defense. Yeah, I agree with that. Like that can be like the uh, the new Battle of the New Republic. Battle him of the New Republic. That's it. It's going to be like the Postman here, dude. I'm going to the Battle of Sevens. What a world! I'm really just hoping. I'm hoping that that happens after I die, but we'll see. I guess what happens. (laughs) I think this is the year Soylent Green was supposed to happen. I was kind of hoping for that rather than what we're what we're faced with. So hey, you don't know. You don't know that it's not. Yeah, what is that impossible it's, uh, sausage? Those, made peach, <laughs> those peach tree dish meats. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. 
Right, Chris, you're up. There's, there's oh, no Sarah Silverman one. She was the 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 petri dish one, right? Ah, never mind. Marjorie oh. Green or whatever. Yeah, Marjorie <laughs> I mean, Soylent Green, Green, Marjorie Green. It was close. It's close. Yeah. Yep. I can't uh, believe it's so. <laughs> can't believe it's not a vegan kid. <laughs> so, I'm I'm gonna keep it dusty, and because <laughs> uh, you know that's how I roll. And honestly, other than the big T, I couldn't name anything that came out on Roadrunner in the last ten years. Yeah. Um. So I'm gonna go with Madball. Look my way. All right. Fully back. Go with. What's that? Yeah. Fully, fully back. That record's so underrated. Absolutely. And and I didn't like the first one when it came out for various reasons that I was actually thinking about a lot today. Mm-hmm. And I did like the second one, but Look My Way is really the record that to me, Madball really found their their path their angle that you know like that record i feel like has more of the bounce than the other ones do mm-hmm. it's got that mad ball groove that everybody associates with them it was their first record that truly <clears throat> had no connection to any other band other than themselves yes absolutely like it was the first record without stigma yep uh i don't remember if shepler played on it or not he, he may have but i'm not sure yeah. he did Matt but and- <clears throat> didn't have stigma stigma was doing af again Henderson was just handling it all. They really like found themselves with that. And like, and I, and as I was saying before, like how the New York hardcore sound is so diverse, but when people just umbrella New York hardcore, that's what they think of is that like mad ball bounce. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it really, I mean, that's and underrated. Like it's not a record that people necessarily cite for mad ball. Like they mm-hmm. kind of just skip straight from, DMS to hold it down and don't even yes. really think about look, you know, look my way that much. It's, hold it's it such down, a good record. I think is underrated too. I think a lot of people go to like infiltrate the system and the, the fair ears, you know. See, that's um, when I stopped. Like, I couldn't oh, tell you. I I mean, me too. I've never heard Empire. Uh, I feel like there's another one in there too that was just like, oh, whatever. Yeah, like, I personally Empire. feel, well, I feel like Hardcore Lives or Hardcore Lives, as we like to call it, is <laughs> their keepers of the faith. Yeah. Because it returned them to what they were really, what they should be doing. You know? It's more than that. I don't, I have lost track of Mad Box. I'm not paying attention to them. Their latest record uh, is terrible. Yeah. The, the last record's not that good, but um, Hardcore Lives is true to form 90s Mad Ball. Yeah. I thought, I thought Beto on Hold It Down brought in like a, a different feeling that I, I really thought that was a, yeah. a great record. Yeah, no, I no, I think hold it down is like my favorite, but look my way is probably my. So I agree with Chris on that one. Can, like it's this so is good. one of the best ball records. Now, Billy, you know, does not agree with that. Is Sweeper? Sweeper does not like look my way. Why not? Because no one's looking his way. Back in the day, I'm like, dude, it's a great record. And he's like, I don't like it. I think people overrate the no. first record. <clears throat> I agree. Like it's I it's good, I but it's not that good. When I, I mean, first heard it, I heard Biohazard, and I was just like, I've already heard Biohazard. Yeah. And I was thinking about this earlier, and you get a little little personal here, but around the time that that record came out, uh, where I was living was involved in some questionable activities, mm-hmm. and we got robbed in our house. And like 
having somebody pull a gun on you and looking down the barrel of that gun and then you're listening with your, you hear that record it was like you know what i don't want any part of that life anymore like that's not that's not what i'm about i don't want to like listen to this shit i don't want to listen to this bullshit i get that that record was their lives at that time mm-hmm. but the people that i saw rallying around that record that was not their lives and it was like yeah. you don't you don't know anything about this shit. You don't want any part of about this shit. I don't want any part of this shit. And here I am. Like, so it really like turned me off in a big way. Uh, and like I said, I, I, I did enjoy the DMS record. Um, but it was Titus who actually turned me on to look my way. He was like, this is what you want from a Madball record. And it was a few years later and I, you know, my mindset had changed again, but look my way, man. Yeah, I agree. I think that's their best record in my, in my, in my mind. Oh, that and hold it down. Those two records, I think, are the the pinnacle for the band. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's like, iconic. Madball, those two. They hit yeah. the peak and then they start rolling off of it. You know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, basically. Right. Yep. But you said Titus, so that seals the deal. Yeah, come on. You know. <laughs> You're welcome, buddy. Not... For what? For making Titus into that the little hardcore monster he became for a few years. Ago. When I met him, he was listening to Pearl Jam. I'm like, dude, come back to my Smash, and smashing pumpkins. Yep. A day later, oh. he, he bought a Warzone shirt, cut the damn sleeves off. Yep. <laughs> There's no stopping him. Steve Titus. Oh, Titus. Shout out Steve Titus. I saw him at the terror show. He's looking great. Oh, did you? Yeah, he's he, looking he looks, he looks great. He looks, he looks like Don Johnson great. in like totally. Totally. That's funny. <laughs> Yeah, Titus looks great. Yeah, got to get him on, man. Got to get him on. We do. He's 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 like uh, he he like probably still uses a flip phone though, so I don't know if that would work. (laughs) Well, we'll figure it out. Like uh, (laughs) uh, Bethany, his cousin, she's tried to like talk to him about getting him on, but I don't know if she has recently. Yeah, I'll get him on. I mean, he me and him text every so often. So yeah, but that's recipes. That's all you (laughs) got. Whatever, man. Whatever. (laughs) whatever bro okay larry you're up all right i'm gonna keep it up <clears throat> i'm gonna keep it dusty street <laughs> and hardcore uh melissa by merciful fate is one of the best metal records i've ever heard in my entire life the child screaming in the background is so fitting uh, well annie annie's been listening to king diamond recently and i think she's kind of like pulling uh pulling some of his style I, I i heard abigail by king diamond first and i i was like i don't know what to make of this the musicianship was great but like his vocals were so over the top that i just i was not like i wasn't feeling it at all and then <laughs> and skiing <laughs> look at that confront oh, man i wonder if he still has that tattoo <laughs> anyway sorry sorry larry no no it's, it's okay it's okay but then uh, the same friend who introduced me, I said, well, you might like this a little bit better. And he gave me Melissa. And uh, I, I that was my gateway to actually liking King Diamond after that, because his vocals are more subdued in Melissa. Um, Sherman and Denner's guitar playing is, is great. They have riff after riff after riff. And they're not quite as, I'm using this word loosely, proggy as King Diamond solo stuff. But um it's 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 a perfect metal record that whole side a there's not a there's not a single song i skip on side a it's just it's 
it's uh it's a great record um and i just i don't know i didn't know if anyone was going to be talking about king diamond but um curse of the pharaohs is probably my favorite uh song that king diamond sings on whether it's immersal fate or uh his solo yeah solo project well you mentioned don't, break, Sherman, don't so. break the oath is awesome too absolutely i like Hank sherman's I like, a great player and yeah. you know um kim peterson is a fantastic vocalist you know absolutely um, yep but i'll tell you what it was metallica who, who brought them to the masses though in the states yeah right? and that's why you got you got a corvette out of the deal um <laughs> i live in texas you know i was talking with matt sorg from ringworm and he got um a reissue of uh ride the lightning or something of that it was like a box set or something and in the liner notes there's a story like when they'd gone over there to record it their stuff got stolen so they ended up using sherman's amps and stuff which gave that record the sound that it kind of had i mean that's yeah. why it sounds so i mean not just the songwriting because clearly they're writing differently than they were on on kill them all but like the guitar sound was significant strikingly different and they couldn't replicate it even with fleming rasmussen on master of puppets no they were using different gear but that's why ride the lightning is the best record of the metallic yes yes oh my god dude we need to hang out that is 100 (laughs) people come in and like i don't i don't hate on metallica but I'm always like to do like, yeah, just listen to Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets. And yeah, Kill Em All is great, but it's Ride the Lightning. That's it. That's I, don't it. Need, I don't need Master of Puppets. I need Ride the Lightning. Yeah, I mean, it's Master of Puppets. I, I see what you're saying, like, because it sounds, um, you know, Ride the Lightning's guitar tone sounds crunchy and Master of Puppets just sounds like this almost weird, I'm trying to think of a word, like a nasally muted sort of yeah. Not even it like it sounded clean, too clean to me compared to yeah. Ride. Ride yeah. the Lightning had that that bit of grit. You yeah. know, you could still hear the struggle in the band that moved from L.A. to to San Francisco, and they were still fucking pissed about it. Yeah. You know? But yeah, Merciful Fates, Merciful Fates, great. I mean, they're definitely not for everybody. You know. Uh, Listen, but, man, I'm a Dream Theater fan, so you know I like it. Yeah, it's <laughs> Merciful Fates a great band. So I work with a guy who listens to a lot of that stuff, and I hate it. I just absolutely hate it. Hey, yeah, no. I, it's not for everyone. I, I don't try to convince anybody of it because I just know that it's every, I think everybody has that one band in their catalog or maybe multiple bands where they're just like, I love this, yeah. but you know, I'm not going to try to convince anybody else to get into it because you can, you can see the roadblocks, the barriers to people enjoying it, you know? Yeah. Like, I think, you know, there are a lot of times where I'd say, you know, if if Kim Peterson wasn't singing here and it was just the music and maybe another vocalist, somebody might get into it. But for me, without him being in that picture, it, it's like missing a piece. So yeah. it, I don't think it would work, but maybe for somebody else's ears, it would, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You could have lots of different people sing for Rush, but if it's not Getty Lee, I don't want to hear it. Fair Absolutely. enough. Fair enough. All right, am I up then? Are we done with Merciful Fate? <laughs> We're never done with Merciful Fate, but we can stop talking about that. <laughs> yeah, and you, uh, just as a quick sidebar, do you guys remember the band Intense Mutilation? No. 
I don't know. like old eighties band. They hated Merciful Fate and King Diamond and wrote multiple songs about how much they hated them. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. How did that yeah. work out for them? Clearly well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. They sold a lot of records in Bratislava, so you know yeah. what is Bratislava? Yeah. A country that doesn't exist any longer. <laughs> <laughs> Great. All right. All right, um, now it's you, Mark. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna not be dusty, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Turnstile Glow On. Yeah, we knew, I saw that. Coming. You didn't see it coming because I was gonna pick no, Madball if Chris did. You guys talk about <laughs> Turnstile all the time. I saw it. I'm surprised you waited this long for Turnstile. What's that? I'm surprised you waited this long to pull that out of your pocket. Nah, they're not. I, I'm a little, I am a little too. Really? You thought I picked Turnstile first? Not first, but not third. But um, so Turnstile, you know, they're the big thing right now in hardcore hype. talking circles. A hype band. Definitely a, a hype band. But you know what? I don't I so I, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but like a hype band to me is a band that isn't worth the discussion. True. And turnstile, like we all know our opinions on it, but I don't think that Turnstile is a hype band because they're backing up everything that they're doing. Like they, they, yeah. you know, does that make sense? Yeah, that, that's no, it does. A hype band is unproven, usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, I, I'll, I'll give you that. But you don't so, see, you probably assume you know my take on them, and I've never given my take on well, that band. Let me give my take on Turnstile. Well, absolutely. <laughs> I don't like any Turnstile records before this one. Like, absolutely don't like them. I don't. I didn't think they were any good. I, they're like okay that their live shows look cool, but I think on this song on this record, I thought they did. They've done their best work. Like, it's catchy. I've listened to it like a hundred zillion times. I haven't listened to it recently because I found other interests. But I want them to do well. I want them to win because, like, you know, they are from the hardcore scene and stuff. So. Who else do we want to win besides hardcore kids? And uh, I don't know. I The only problem I have with Turnstile is the people who want to act like who, well, let's just, people who we haven't seen in the last 20 years who decided that Turnstile is the best hardcore band in the world. And those are the, that's the only thing I hate about Turnstile. Like the, like the people they brought back that <laughs> I haven't seen for 20 freaking years. And you want turnstile just... turnstile is the soundtrack for grifters <laughs> it is <laughs> but i want them to win you know like why not hardcore kids i don't necessarily know if i i don't necessarily know if i hate well i do i do dislike their music intensely but <laughs> i don't i don't hate them to your point i i hate i hate the I hate their, I hate the fans the super fans of it yeah i also hate the super detractors yeah. because i just i'm yeah. just like I'm like, it's not relevant, dude. If they like them, they like them. There's so many bands that I hate that people absolutely have loved over the years. And I'm just like, just like, I don't get it. And it's just, it doesn't matter. I told Chris this story, I think. I'll tell you guys a story. This is why I appreciate these dudes. The guy who plays guitar in my band um, loves them. And I make fun of them regularly because it's <laughs> fun for me to do that. But it's it's fine, you know, it's it's totally cool. So he went to go see him in Cleveland. He drove all the way from Columbus to go see him in Cleveland. He and his his wife and their 11-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. And they pushed their way up front to the 
by the photographer's pit. The photographer said, Hey, do you guys want to come back over here? They got in the photographer's pit and then the photographer said, hold on for a second, came back and the band got them passes and they came out. They met my guitar player's daughter. She was excited. They were super nice. Last verse, last song singer. What's his name? Brendan. Yeah. Dragged her out on the stage and had her sing the last verse with him. That's amazing. And you know what? It's like, <laughs> you know, there, there's like a, the 17 year old me would have been like, man, that's some corny ass fucking shit. But you know what? It's not. It's cool. Bella is going to like, you know, now she's going to dive into other music that, you know, she might not have looked at otherwise. I I don't nope. know. I don't know how much I don't know how 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 much legs this thing has on it. But I, I think that for the time being, they're going to be the biggest gateway band that's ever hit hardcore, whether people stick with. Yeah. Turns out that's another story, but I think that more people are going to start looking into other kinds of hardcore bands outside of turnstile. So I wish him nothing but success, but I, I can't stand that. Right in, in my, in my <laughs> hardcore mind, that story you just told is like super freaking corny. Like it, it's, I, I think it is like, it's, it's cool that that happened and all that stuff, but like my hardcore mind can't process that. But my normal <laughs> mind says that's freaking awesome. Like, Kid, you know, kid got to go sing a song up on stage. That's that's great. Look, I, I just and, but that's I'm, also like that's a memory that that kid is gonna have like, the rest of their life. And and you don't know where. Like, sure, she may get into some hardcore, but she just may get into music in general. And yeah. in ten years, she's pulling some kid up to sing the last verse of her last song. You know what? Though, speaking of that, not to talk shit. Maybe it's not talking shit, but I get annoyed when. Band, hardcore bands pull people on stage to sing so, like to sing parts of songs. So you like Turnstile? Oh, like other bands. <laughs> I, I, what's that? Watch it. <laughs> what? I'm not talking about you, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I would never do anything like that because that's not the band style of band I've ever played in as far as hardcore goes. Yeah. But you know, I just remember, you know, growing up and like the gatekeeping you had to deal with, like, I mean, it was fine. And I certainly made out well, but anytime a kid just gets like a, an open invitation into something, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. You know, yeah, is I it? Think... Yeah. Yeah, sure. It is. But that's me just being cantankerous and, and, you know, fucking weird about it, you know, ultimately as a dad and as somebody who, could see that as being meaningful to that kid. Why would I shit on that? You know? Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. But in my but mind, I'll keep I mean, to myself. Kind of, you know what I mean? It's corny in my mind. So, but I wouldn't tell corny. the kid that. It's not corny. It's cor- It's Courtney Cox getting pulled up on stage with Bruce Springsteen for dancing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, exactly. Your kid can wind up with their own TV show that that brings in tens of millions of dollars every year. Fair enough. Fair enough. Here's my hey, take hey, on the style. Pay yeah. for Josh's retirement. <laughs> All right. So the past few years, everyone said they sounded like 311. Mm-hmm. I don't think they sound like 311 yeah. at all. But what I always hear is I always think the vocalist reminds me of Perry Farrell from Jane's Addiction. Mm-hmm. So I just I just hear Perry Farrell's voice, mm-hmm. you know, with this kid singing. And as much as I'm I'm indifferent towards the band, I don't like them, I don't dislike them, but I have watched them on you know Jimmy Kimmel or and Seth Myers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Their live shows do look like a lot of fun, but I'm still indifferent to them. But it, they're they're no different than like Greta Van Fleet, which I don't know if any of you guys have heard. They're a yeah. major label. Uh, they literally sound like Led Zeppelin. But me being Dusty, I'm just gonna go listen to Led Zeppelin. Yeah. You know? And I was the same way with like Power Trip. It's like I'm just gonna go listen to Exodus. 
you know, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. if you're young, you're not looking to listen to Zeppelin. You're not looking to listen to Exodus. You're going to go listen to Power Trip. You're going to listen to Greta Van Fleet. You're going to listen to Turnstile, and then maybe you'll go back. So I have to appreciate what these younger bands are doing. Even if they're not doing something new, maybe they're they're going to rope kids in where they'll go back and see what came before. Yeah. And then, you know, on one of your podcasts, you guys were talking about how there's like 40 years plus of hardcore history and yeah. how far the kids go back. And you know, Roadrunner Records, it seems to be like that corn era is about as far as they go back right now. That's why we have like Knock Loose to me is just a new metal band. Mm-hmm. Um, more new metal than than the Trusco bands from Southern California who just slapped X's on their names and people are like, oh, it's the best hardcore band ever. It's like just your corn with straight edge kids, you know. <laughs> but anyway, so I, you know, good for them. You know, um, there are worse bands. Um, for, for kids to be into like five finger death punch, I think does way more to harm our children than turnstiles. Well, speaking of that, <laughs> though, no, I would agree with that. I'd there are that. sketchy, like real quote unquote, real hardcore bands that kids should probably stay away from. Like these guys are fine, but there's like low, like, you know, like low level bands, which do some stupid shit, which, you know, fuck those bands, but you know. First yeah. off, dudes are cool. I, mean, I, I like some of those bands, but <laughs> yeah. I agree. I I heard a thing about a band that I'm a big fan of this week. That if it's true, I I have to question my support of that band. Yeah. Uh, but I, after having had a talk with a friend of mine over the weekend about Turnstile, and and I'm and I still stand by Turnstile's. And, Turnstile is a band, it's not a hardcore band, but whatever, who cares what I think? Doesn't matter, yeah. He said that he wishes that he was in a band with Turnstile's positivity and members who are all on the same page who just want to do more and not sabotage each other, cannibalize each other, try to get over on each other. Like they're all on the same page. They're they're positive with what they do. You know, they're putting out a positive vibe, and that's one of the things that is attracting a lot of people of honestly all ages. Mm-hmm. You know, because we got our <clears throat> been gone for 20 years, 45 year olds going to see them, and we got 17 year olds going to see them, and we yeah. got people who never left checking them out, mm-hmm. you know, people from other avenues checking them out. And, you know, they do they do still respect and, and recognize their hardcore roots. Uh, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but like I, I admire the positive influence that they're putting out. I think that that's a good thing. And I think that more, more bands should have that, like not kind of a blanket naive positivity, but everyone doesn't need to be pulling guns on other hardcore kids because of a mic stands. And, like, people don't need to be, like, jumping each other over some dumb shit. Like, yeah. you know, hardcore for hardcore used to mean something. And in that regards, maybe Turnstile is a hardcore band. They're not. I, but you know what I'm saying. No, I'd say Turnstile is a hardcore band. I, I love Turnstile. And I fucking remember, like, their first 7-inch. And I loved it. And I thought to myself, too bad the stand's never going to go anywhere. And that was <laughs> ironic. <laughs> I didn't think they had a sound that would really appeal to anybody. And usually when I like something too much, nobody else really yeah, does. Yeah, no one else does. <laughs> and, um, yeah, but they don't, 
they don't sound like what they did in the beginning. Like they've no, made I a. I mean, they've they've evolved into something more, and that's okay. No, but that's you know, part of my point. That they, why I think they're so hardcore band is because, but you can still see elements. Like it all, every release they've done has evolved, mm-hmm. but there's still like parts of it that's still like there from the beginning in certain aspects they do. And one of the things that just kind of elaborates on what everybody else is saying about how, like their last album, like my family hates hardcore music. Everybody in my house. Like, they all hate it when I listen to that stuff. But when I picked um, my oldest up from school a couple years ago, when the last Turnstile album came out, and they were just like, what is this? And they were really into it and liked it a lot. Yeah. And uh, when the new album came out, my wife, Jen, and I were driving somewhere, and she puts on Turnstile. I'm like, you, you like this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you're listening to Turnstile right now? I was just fine to me because I like it, but it's it's like even people, you know, who I live with who hate the music I listen to like Turnstile. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, like to Larry's point, like they they'll probably be the biggest gateway band ever, and that's fine. You know, because mm-hmm. there's worse there's worse things that could get people into hardcore. That's the thing, though. Like, everyone decides, like, like somebody says that they're not a hardcore band, and everyone gets super defensive of that. There's nothing wrong with not being a hardcore band. <laughs> yeah, you can so, I'm not trying to sound defensive. I just, I think they still are. Even no, I, I think no, in general, people get that. really pissed off. Like, people say they're not a hardcore band. People, like, fly off the handle, like, as if, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. said they suck. <laughs> like, to, Mark, to Mark's point, my gateway band was Violent Femmes. There was no way in hell Violent Femmes could ever be even put into, like, an adjacent category of hardcore. <laughs> but that's what turned me on to other music. You know, and, and it's mm. fine if Turnstile is that. That's fine. Like, they're, they're, they they're, they're blister in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> that's Turnstile. Like, I, I just sometimes feel like some people need it to be a hardcore band to back up their own hardcore cred. Because, like, I'm a hardcore kid. I only fuck with hardcore. So Turnstile is hardcore. Yeah, I only fuck I with it. hardcore because I'm a hardcore kid. And it's like, no, nah, man, it's cool. You can listen to other shit. It's fine. Ooh, Everything okay. doesn't need to be hardcore. Yeah, but here's the thing, man. There are 45-year-old, 50-year-old Dusty dudes who I know there's no way in hell they like Turnstile. And they're just saying they do to try and fit in because they're still That definitely is true. At that age, it's like there's a lot of straight edge luminaries that I know who say they love Knock Loose. It's like, you don't like Knock Loose, man. There's no way. There's no way. In the early 90s. Stop trying to fit in with your fucking kid. Your kid thinks you're old yeah. and you're fucking dusty, too. Well, I don't like Knock Loose, really, but their guitar player is in a straight edge band. So that gives them some, that gives them a little, some points in my world. So. Is that the inclination one? Yeah. But what I'm saying is, <laughs> inclination's okay. great. Definitely. It is okay to not like what's popular. And there's too many woodwork people coming back out, pretending to like stuff just to try and fit in now. It's like, look, dude, your midlife crisis, whatever, you're here, but don't try and act like you like this shit that I clearly know you don't. Yeah. I'd rather you, just yeah, yeah. you were 20 years ago before you disappeared and like that same shit. You know? <laughs> it, it is okay to think some of these new bands suck because honestly, some of them just do. We've got, form, we got to form an old lifer crew. Because <laughs> Derek, Derek was talking about that on Sunday at the show. We're what, talking what? about being old and being like we didn't freaking go anywhere. Like fuck all these people who decided to do other shit. Like we we were okay. We didn't have to go anywhere. Fuck those people. Oh you, yeah, I've never I've never 
left hardcore. I never stopped doing bands. I'm the same piece of crap I always was. You know, like I, I, I'm still just as opinionated and wrong about stuff. But you but, know what? But, I'm comfortable with that. Right. But to that point, like those people who left and came back, they missed out on a whole bunch of shit that to some degree we all had to put up with and live through and still be here. They skipped all that shit. Yeah. Fashion core. We had to live through. That was terrible. Right. Like they, they skipped fashion core. They, they skipped some other stuff that I'm not going to say, but like where places where shows were getting shut down after the first song because of bullshit, you know, like, they, you know, they missed all of that shit. They missed the Ozfest years, you know, <laughs> where everyone was trying to be a metal band. Dumb stuff. Right. They fucking missed that shit. Like they missed like all of that shit, and then they come back. Like, yeah, I've I've always been down for hardcore. Really? Like, all sure. right, if you say so. <laughs> See, and that's the thing. You don't have to like everything that's coming out, but if you're still involved in going to shows, at least give it a, give it a chance. I'll give stuff a chance before I just markedly say it's, it's garbage. You know. At least be aware of it, but you don't have to like. Okay, you know, if if some seven year old hardcore kid is, is like, oh, you love Turnstile, like, nah, I'm I'm actually just indifferent. I don't love them. I don't hate them. I, I don't feel anything towards them. You know, but I'm not gonna be yeah, the greatest. You know, like that's yeah. it's bullshit. It's like a fart in a car. You know, <laughs> Mike, you're up. Let's let's go for Turnstile. You're up. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Your last. So, pick. Oh, my pick is Turnstile. <laughs> <laughs> this this, this is tough. Um, so I, I, like I said, I had like 15 different things. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with, with one, a, a kill switch engage and a heartache. All right. Oh. It's just a phenomenal record. I thought, um, you know, I, I liked, uh, aftershock a whole lot. I like overcast. Um, you know, I liked, uh, blood has been shed and you know, these guys coming together. I mean, you know, and a heartache was a, their, their first full length on, on Roadrunner you know, after the, the ferret release and Adam stepped away from the drums now playing guitar. Um, just Howard Jones's vocals. Uh, just, I don't know. I just, I, I think he's got a hell of a voice. I still think he has a better voice than, than Jesse Leach who, who came back to the band and replaced him. No, uh, no, no. <laughs> man, no. I, I don't know. That was a downturn kill switching age. Their biggest selling album was the downturn. Damn. Oh, people don't know anything. That's that's the record. <laughs> that, that, that's the record that gave a career by far. You know, um, one their musicianship has always been top notch, to, to say the least. And uh, I, I I liked how they could fuse what I what I loved about you know more traditional style metal, um, you know, with with a modern production. And, and a hardcore sensibility, you know, um, they, they were banned, like, you know, when, they, when they first came out on ferret, um, you know, it's like, right. These guys are just dudes that we've always played with in other hardcore bands. I, I never in a million years would have thought that that record caught on, but it, it, man, it caught on like wildfire for better or for worse. I mean, obviously there's a, there's a lot of bands that, that came out of, you know, after them who tried to emulate them, um, you know, but I have, I have a question for you. Yeah. How much of that do you think is it being a solid record versus Headbangers Ball coming back at the time and Ozfest and Headbangers Ball and Ozfest really promoting that style of hardcore? 
Well, who was well, the if, if, if Ozfest and the Headbangers Ball weren't around? Do you think that it still would have been that big? No, all the Massachusetts bands, yeah, the Shadows Fall, Unearth, Kill Switch Engage, Diecast, they they all blew up at that time because Kill Switch Engage. They they're the ones who hit the biggest first. I would argue Shadows Fall of One Blood that came out in '99 really got the ball rolling. Um, but when Kill Switch put out that in you know 2004. Um, that kicked everything up like a notch. Um, and Jamie being the host of Headbangers Ball, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put all my friends on this show. And then, you know, because Hatebreed had already played OzFest in, in you know, 2000, um, it had that in. So Jamie was more influential and he can get those other bands on there. So, yes, I agree with what you're saying, that those bands wouldn't be as big as they became, especially Killswitch, had it not been for uh, Headbangers Ball and for the OzFest. Right, you know, but I, I can't take away from how great of a record that is um, because of how popular it is. By that logic, you guys should should not like Turnstile then either, you know, because <laughs> you know what the Killswitch well, guys, I would argue, are way more hardcore than the Turnstile guys ever were. Uh, I don't know about being hardcore. I don't know about like that. The, like those dudes, first, those dudes who tried and true Baltimore hardcore guys. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't really care about who's more hardcore, but the first two Kill Switch albums are amazing, and I don't like Howard's vocals. I never have. I thought they were fine. I, 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 I thought they were fine. His vocals were fine. I thought they worked for what they were doing. Yeah. Now, I, I did see them. Uh, what in October? And um, you know, Jesse singing Howard's songs still still sound incredible. Um, I just that record I I, I thought were the best, the most well written songs they had with the catchiest, most hooky choruses. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I, I understand what you said. Like th th this is a the thing. There, I have so many releases I I, I could have said there. Um, you know, but I'm like, Kill Switch like I said, they have that tie to the hardcore scene, just like you said, Turnstile has, has that connection as well. And, you know, I felt that should be noted too. You know, we know where these guys came from and it's pretty astounding to see where they were able to go. Starting with that record, having Jesse leave the band, have Howard, then Howard out of the band, Jesse come back and then to keep growing. And they have multiple gold records at this point. That's insane. These were dudes that we would play in basements with or, you know, CD clubs, you know, in Springfield, Mass, you know, next to the strip joints, you know, like these were bands that, that were playing for, for 20 bucks in gas money. And, and, and now these guys are just beyond massive. And it, it's, it's cool. Just like you said with the turnstile kids then, you know, um, I don't know if they pull people up on stage though, Larry. So that'll, <laughs> yeah. I think they should. They, they should. Might. They should start with Chris. <laughs> they should. They should. Yeah. So we're gonna get into uh, 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 honorable mentions. Yeah. Yeah, we can drop a couple. Yeah. Like what do you got, Billy? All right. Can, can I just name a couple of honorable mentions quickly? Yeah. 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 Or do yep. Okay. So definitely the first uh, Vision of Disorder album. Okay. Uh, Yep. That's amazing. Uh, as far as newer Roadrunner bands go, because I haven't gone there. Up until recently, I love all the 
the Code Orange releases on there. And I think the last album was exceptionally good, even though a lot of people hated it because of its industrial edge. Um, Exhorter Slaughter in the Vatican. Yeah. And then, and then some forgotten thrash metal classics that I forgot about. Uh, Blessed Death and Holy Terror, which were some fucking amazing records by bands most people, except for maybe Greg and F. I've never heard of. <laughs> yeah, I don't even think Greg Adeth has, man. Don't, don't let it fool you. He's still- no, he has. We've talked about those bands. Me and Greg have talked about those bands before. You should, you, should just go back, you should go back to X Hoarder. I mean, Pantera wouldn't be who they were without ripping off X Hoarder. 100%. Fucking Cerebral Fix. Holy shit, what about that album? Now, Billy, you know, man, I've always said it. Pan-terrible. <laughs> I don't care. I'm not talking about Pantera. I don't like. Pantera. No, no, I know that, but I, I'm just saying my my opinion on Pantera is Pantera. Oh. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I, I hate. <laughs> Fucking cerebral fixed Tower of Spite. I can't believe I forgot about that album. That album mm. is amazing. That should have been at the top of my list. Sorry, that's it. That's all my follow ups. Nice. What do you got, uh, Chris? Uh, I'm gonna go all the way dusty, yeah. Uh, and just pretty much like, uh, you know, the Wrecking Crew Balance, a terror record. Yes, I, I I felt like was the agnostic front of Boston. Um, they were. I love that record. <laughs> yeah, it totally were. I mean, yeah. I think about it, drop agnostic front. It's so good. It, yeah. I mean, you're not wrong, but it kind of does that record a disservice because there's a lot. Of, that's a great record. I it mean, is. It's a great I love record. it. And, 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 and I'm always saying that they were the agnostic front of Boston because to me, they just had that that AF feel, you know, like the right. kind of cause for alarm, liberty and justice feel. And they didn't look like they weren't varsity jacket slap no. shot dudes and they weren't like uh, gang green. Older but wiser. Bless you. Yeah, thank you. And uh was such a good record. And um yeah, I had the VOD record as a possibility on my list. Uh I had that on my list as a possibility too, but let's be honest, man. The the production on that it sucks. No, nah, it's great. It fits the record so well. It could have been, been too overproduced. Yeah, it works. Yeah, it could have been a little little gritty, but yeah, so good. Song wise, yeah. it's fantastic. I'm talking strictly production. Too yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, this is gonna get me some mocking, and I don't care. The first corn record, it's a good fucking record. Corny ass name, but it's oh. a good fucking record. Dude, corn's got I, tracks. I threw bottles corn's at him. Corn's got tracks. Corn's got tracks. Sick of I it all. Me, I dude, me and McPherson, some of my other friends threw bottles at him. I remember telling Sarah Rising that band is not going anywhere. They fucking suck. <laughs> and Mark, I remember now. when you didn't like corn. I remember when you came out saying you like corn. It was like a big scandal. That was like, <laughs> oh my god, just that Mark said he liked corn. Oh no, that they got tracks. They, uh, they got tracks. They had for whatever show they did, they had their shirts printed at the Buffalo Shirt Factory. And a friend of mine worked at the Buffalo shirt picker. I wish I still had it, but for whatever reason, the back of the shirt said "Bag of Crew" because oh, they really? had that song "F A G E T." Yeah. 
So no, he just had like what's that, Billy? There is a story. There is a story behind that, though. I'm sure. Like, like that, but, that, that whole thing was because of stuff the singer went through in in school. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, so he just made up. Like he didn't do whatever the front of the shirt was, and just made up a couple of shirts with that on the back. And I wish I still had mine. Yeah, would you <laughs> wear it in public now? I don't know. Um, that's, Listen, that's a tough. I wore, my, I I wore my white devil T-shirt probably like five or six years ago, and I stopped at a rest stop, and some guy, these dudes, every time they walk by, hell yeah, brother, hell yeah, brother. I'm like, hell fucking no, I'm not Black label society. What the <laughs> Right. Yeah, like you know, like not, I did it's today. Not 80s hardcore. Me picking up my daughter say wear my black flag slip it in shirt and realizing all these shirt. Yeah. Good choice. Good choice. That's a great choice. You pick up your kids at dance class. Yeah, that's a good one. Who's okay, Larry, Alba mentions. The 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 corn comments have made me permanently stupid. I don't even think Corn's <laughs> got tracks. Tracks. Larry, help Corn's me out tracks. here. Back me up. Corn's the They're worst. Fucking, that, that band is so bad. They've they got tracks, though. They got tracks. First record. First record <laughs> oh, no. is on the same level as Fudge Tunnel and Buzz Alvin. If you like Fudge no. Tunnel and Buzz Alvin, no. 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 revisit Corn. Absolutely. They rip <laughs> off Fudge. I believe it's Fudge Tunnel on the first record. Speaking of that, well, go on. Larry, come on. Give me well, I was going to say, you brought a Buzz Oven. I have Buzz Oven Sore. I did, honor- too, as one of my album mentions. I love I love that band. Um, I mentioned it before when I was talking about Fate, King Diamond Abigail. Uh, one that I thought would come up, Rest in Pieces Under My Skin. Um, it, it's not great top to bottom, but there are some really, really good Five songs. Golden Rings, man. I, I just I, I stand by that if that record had the production of my rage, it would eclipse my rage. It's like five golden rings is just such a good song. And the title track yeah. alone is like really yeah. good. And playing is through the roof good. Um I bet you Vario is was such an underrated, amazing guitar player where there's a helmet, where he's a rest yeah. in peace, where he's playing with biohazard, the guy rules. Yeah. Um you know, I like No France or Thought Crusade quite a bit, um, even though Low Rent Rollins is fucking annoying as hell. Um, <laughs> nah, fuck that, dude. Seriously. And Derek, nah, if, you cut, if Derek wants to cut, that's fine, but I prefer he didn't. Um, nah, there's no there's no reason to cut it. There's no reason to cut it. But I do like that record. Um, I Spy and Rusty Pipes are all-time great songs. Yeah. I like Great it better song. than the seven inch. I have friends who say the seven inch is way better. I'm like, nah, that LP is pretty good. It's not LP is definitely better. It's it's yeah, not. No, nah, I agree. It's yeah, better. it's not a classic hardcore record, but it's really good. And I listened to it quite so, a bit actually. <clears throat> I mean, I, I feel like if it hadn't come out on Hawker, like if it, if it hadn't come out on like Rev or one of those labels, it would be better received and more sought after. Yeah, like sure. of all of those bands of the like youth crew bands or rev bands, no for an answer is like the forgotten stepchild that nobody wants, like the foster kid nobody wants to like acknowledge. It's yeah. it had some of the best lyrics too, like especially yeah, like the, his lyrics were great and the music yeah, they was are. great. Like I never understood why no for an answer is kind of like forgotten about and not and kind of dismissed, you know. And I feel like being on Hawker is part of the problem. Yeah. 
I mean, he likes the smell of his own farts, but he's a great lyricist. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know. yeah. Yeah, but you, you know what, man? I mean, that that goes to your point, Chris. Um, with hardcore, the the big, the classic bands, they're on specific labels. But we all know there are a lot of other bands that existed that were better, that were not on the bigger label. Hardcore, yeah. for as much as everyone says, oh, it's for outsiders. And yeah, yeah maybe at one, what, one time it was. Hardcore is just, it's, it's so big now. And you really have to be the, on the right label to be the cool band. You have to dress a certain way, hang out with certain people, do certain things. And if you if you are hardcore punk and you you don't want anything to do with those rules, you know, your band's not going to be as big. And, you know, um, even back in the day, you know, like if you put something out on Rev, it was it was going to be considered a classic. You know, unless you're Slipknot on Rev, you know, no. Which no, I no. love. that Oh, one last quick honorable mention: uh, Suffocation, Pierce from Within. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. I think there's a lot of stuff that followed it that came in its wake that they're responsible for. That's like kind of trash, but that record's really good. Um, yeah, the, the, there aren't many death metal records that sound like that that I actually enjoy, but I do like that one a lot. It's pretty good. Pretty good. I think I saw them on that tour and they were fucking amazing. Yeah. They had phenomenal musicians in that band too. You know, mm -hmm. you think about a lot of what was going on in the New York area and Long Island at the time. Um, and you look, you like, you had white lion, then you had suffocation, you know? <laughs> nothing against Vito Brada. He's a, he's a great guitar player, but you know, he's not Terrence Hobbs. No, no. No. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mark, was that you? Did you just give me the mm-hmm? Yeah. Man. Wait. Okay. Mark. My album mentions were uh <laughs> what? Not that I just uh uh quoted White Lion. Sorry. Oh, I see. <laughs> Did the children cry? Which which one? We talk radar love. What are we what are we doing here? Song Who's in wait? Yeah, we you know <laughs> I know that song. <laughs> when the children cry was awesome, man. Wait, wait. Well, that I mean, Mike Tramp. I mean, he's still out there torn with Mike Tramp and something else. If you know, Brada doesn't want to do it. But that song, Wait, was good. Yeah, Great. I never had the chance to tell you. <laughs> was Uncle Tom's Cabin one of their songs? Is that White Line? No, dude. No, that's that's right. Oh, boo, boo this man, Larry. Who is that's that? <laughs> Warren and White Lion. Oh, okay, man. <laughs> Same band. No, no, not, not the slightest. <laughs> all right my honorable mentions uh well i didn't really have any but mad ball set it off black train jack uh you're not alone it's pretty much it and buzz of and sore which for some reason i have that record and i i like it but anyway those are my honorable mentions they're, they're very honorable they are i'm, I'm glad you mentioned them <laughs> Mike, you're on the mentions. <laughs> All right. Typo negative, life is killing me. I know it's a later record. I, I was way like, I was surprised no one said any typo. I don't want to be, I don't want to be me. How, how do you not mess with that? Or, and, and the video or, for it's amazing. Or that nobody because mentioned. Because when they played more. Buffalo and yes. every fucking Nazi skinhead showed up and was Stig Highland, they didn't give a shit. So I didn't fuck with typo negative for like 20 years. Well, listen, man, it's not, it, it, you go see Slayer in Buffalo and every Nazi from Rochester and Buffalo is out there too. You know, they also, come yeah, but out you expect that. And it's a bigger crowd. Like it's the icon crowd and dude doesn't even acknowledge it. And it's like right there. 
Yeah. You know, and it's like, that's fine. If, if you want to cultivate that fan base, particularly at that time, you don't need me as a fan. Fair enough. All anyway. Right. How about uh, I had um, uh, Sepultura Nation on there. So there's your there's your Kibo connection right there, Larry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, the first record that they did when Derek joined, um, he was new to the band and he wasn't really finding his place, I thought. Right. I mean, it, it came down to him and Jamie from Hatebreed had tried out to be in the band and Jamie decided to stick with Hatebreed. So they had Derek took the reins and that record was already written. But w- with Nation, I thought he really came into his own. Um, and yeah, then you're like, Nation's fucking great record. Oh, absolutely. So, and then Warback is great too. Like Apes of God is one of the best Sepultura songs ever written. You know, I mean, the different the, the, the main difference, the thing he brings to the table that even Max and have is the fact that Derek can actually sing, sing oh, well. Yeah. You know, and he is, got, he's said that that's why Sepultura went with him because he had range. Absolutely. Whereas everybody else was just yelling. So it's interesting that you're kind of insinuating that Jamie was the pick, but he stuck with Haybreed. Yes. I mean, that was a 1998 was that pivotal point, you know, so Satisfaction comes out in 97. And, you know, by 98, Sepultura needs a new vocalist. And Haybreed's really starting to gain traction. Um, and and that, that was a big risk. Uh, you know, obviously, it worked out fine for both of them, you know, uh, to say the least. Um, I think mm-hmm. Derek was definitely the right choice, just knowing, like, Andreas Kisser and, and um, what he envisioned for the band and what he's capable of as a musician, I think, okay. is, is more in tune with what, what Derek was doing than Jamie. Um, I, I mean, if you, if you look, uh, what's that one he did with Kirk from Crowbar what was the name of the band he did. Um, Kingdom of Sorrow. Kingdom of Sorrow. Yeah. It could have been called Kingdom of Doodoo. Um, yeah. It's, it's, not, you know, like Ice Pick. It could have been called Shit Pick. You know, I, I like Jamie and Habry and that's it, you know. Um, so I don't think he would have fit in that regard. Um, yeah. You know, then like other honorable mentions for me, like that haven't mentioned, um, I didn't realize like like Ministry, the Land of Rape and Honey came out on Roadrunner. Mm. Was that Warner Brothers? What's that? No, that was on Warner Brothers. If it came out on Roadrunner, that was a it was like one of those European deals. That was not all right. Well scratch that. Um uh, I also had like (laughs) Heathen, Heathen, you know, um Victims of Deception. I always thought Lee Altis was a great guitar player. Um when he joined Exodus too you know, around 2003, 2004, I thought it brought Exodus up a notch, um, you know, really put Exodus back on, back on the map. And then is, you know, it's cheesy. This one's going to be really cheesy. Rat did a comeback album called Infestation around 2004, 2005 on Loud and Proud, which is a Roadrunner off print. Um, I love Rat. I don't know why. Stephen Piercy looks I'll like a rat. I, I can tell you right, why right now. Warren D. Martini. <laughs> Absolutely. But I there's mean, a Buffalo connection there, too, because Jim Christofanilli was originally original bass player in Rat when Ron Crucier had left. What are these names? <laughs> um, see, if you, you know, listen, man, you're talking about music on a podcast. You really got to talk about music. <laughs> what are these names? <laughs> so there's a guy Good from fellas, Buffalo man. Good who wrote Wanted Man <laughs> for Rat and then got kicked out of the band for Juan Crucier when he Juan Crucier left Dokken. Um So what I'm saying is there's always some sort of a Buffalo connection, right? It's not just uh, John Roberts came through the, the, the airport in Chictawaga and we make him an honorary member of, uh, you know, Buffalo's community. 
you know. <laughs> but yeah, Rubber Ring has just put out so much good stuff, you know, over the past 40 years. It's 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 too hard to just just delve in and, and merely have three picks, especially if you you know, no one said Fear Factory. Fear Factory's early work, like D manufacturer is amazing. You know, mm-hmm. could have went there. There's just so much stuff. There's like Cleveland There's so much. factory too. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, so does how I've never world. listened to the I've never listened to the Meet Me podcast. Does he cover like all of the Roadrunner stuff or does he just do like the hardcore stuff? Like what a little bit of everything. Just yeah, like we're, ju- everything. we're jumping around, that's what they do on there too. But it, it is yeah. super in depth, you know. Um, and like I said, with with a label like that, there's there's too much to to, to hit on. Um, you know, you, you can't do it in one shot. But that's why I wanted to make sure I pull a little bit of metal, a little bit of hardcore. You know, I mean, uh, well, I think even uh, Misfits put out famous monsters on on Roadrunner. So like everybody has. Seems like everybody's worked with this label at some point in time, whether it was they were on the label or they had a licensing deal or their label got bought out by Roadrunner, you know, um, like Trustkill and Ferret, you know, well, actually Ferret got bought out by Roadrunner. So that's why if you, if you look, a lot of those old Ferret releases are, are, are now handled by Roadrunner because Carl used to work there. So. Hmm. 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 There's, I'm looking at the Meat Meat podcast, like the list of episodes, and they did Earth Crisis, Breed the Killers, and Carl and Ian are on there, and so is Mike Ski. Because he did the art. It might be cool to listen to. I might check that oh, yeah. out. Well, here's the thing. That's See, that's the one we should have brought up. Was that director Jim Winters was on? No, so that he's was on the other Destroy one. the Machines. Jim Winters wrote Destroy the Machines. That was after he was in Believer. Believer, like you said, tore it, Machine Head. Burn My Eyes came out in 94. Destroy the Machines comes out in 95. Go listen to them back to back. They're Earth Crisis stole machine head riffs like there's no tomorrow. Fair enough. Note <laughs> for note. But with Breed the Killers, had that record come out on Victory, I think that would have been better for them. And Slither should have come out on Roadrunner because Slither was more mainstream, I felt. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone, if you, if I you, it wasn't like, wasn't Breed the Killers like overproduced or something? I seem to recall people having issue with production. Like I was kind of over Earth Crisis by that point. But yes. I feel like production seemed to be the thing. Yes. Um, but they're still, you know, singing about ultra militants, you know? But Roadrunner, yeah, yeah. they didn't give a shit about being ultra militant. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they would have cared more about Slither and I turned myself into a monster. That would have fit better with yeah. the Roadrunner, I thought. <laughs> You know, I mean, it worked out for them. Obviously, those guys have still sold over like 300,000 records, you know? Yeah. So. Contain, control, exterminate. Contain, control, exterminate. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a, it's a, There's great songs. I think it was just presented to the wrong crowd. Yeah. At the time, anyway. That's music. You know, That's the music business in a nutshell, man. <laughs> exactly. And, and Code Orange, uh, Bill had, Billy had mentioned Code Orange. Uh, Mike Portnoy from Dream Theater's son is the drummer of, of Code Orange now. Oh, really? Because yeah. the drummer sings now, right? Yes. Yeah. Cool. And looks exactly like Trent Reznor in 1990. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's what they're going for. Like, I was never a Code Orange fan. I didn't like them as kids. I don't like them as adults. It's just not my thing. <laughs> it's been it's been edited out of other episodes where I said that I don't like them, so I'm sure it'll get edited out of this one. 
uh, <laughs> but it's it's not my thing. Yeah. Cool, and that's man. okay. You don't have and to that's like okay. Them. It's all right. You don't have to like them. You know. Yeah, but in the spirit of excessive edits, I fucking hate Code Orange too. How about that? <laughs> you hate what? Code Orange too. Oh, okay. Yeah, but that tracks. <laughs> Does it? They had two records I thought were good. After they dropped the kids, the first two records they did I thought were great. And the new stuff is just a little too, I don't know. I, I, maybe it's the outfits. Maybe it's the Thundercats logo. I don't know. <laughs> you know? I'm like until they, I, that uh, whatever whatever record that the King song was off of I, am I thought that that song was okay but it was to me it was more odd stuff <laughs> that logo is stupid dude seriously it's well when they were kids they thought it was cool and then they just yeah. stuck with it they kicked the shit out of Schnarf and took the logo Terrible. in their defense like Logan talks to those guys a lot still they're still very into hardcore and into the whole scene in Pittsburgh you know, they're just doing bigger things. And and like you said, if, if it's okay for Turnstile to do that, it's okay for them to do it too, you know? Um, you don't have to yeah. like it, but... But my question is, and this isn't this isn't me being a dick, I'm just curious, what is Pittsburgh hardcore? Steel Nation. <laughs> okay, what else? <laughs> I don't know, man. That, that's what I'm saying. Like, like, to me, Pittsburgh is like, Skullfest, uh, uh, fucking band whose name I can't remember. Half life, uh, killer, killer of sheep, half life, anti flag, crucifixion. Yeah, like to me, that's Pittsburgh hardcore. So, like, and if if the if the Code Orange kids are into those bands, that's great. But I don't think so. <laughs> anti flag, man. Yeah, anti-flag is, you know, love them or hate them. Those guys have been doing the same thing for 20 years, man, you know? Um, yeah, they still but I'm live... saying, like, Pittsburgh, like, I feel like Pittsburgh is a whole different kind of animal. And and because it's a different kind of animal, it produced a band like Code Orange Kids, who, in my mind, when they started, because there wasn't an Oz, Ozfest, got attached to hardcore because there was no other avenue for them. Yeah. You know, but like Pittsburgh is really the only place where like that kind of a thing would happen. Uh huh. Yeah, well, I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not aggressively questioning their hardcore commitment. I'm just curious what hardcore in Pittsburgh they're down for because the little bit that I know of Pittsburgh, there isn't like a like mainstream hardcore scene there. You know what I mean? Well, I know, but there was a lot of Christian hardcore kids there. The Solid State Records. Um, kind of kids when you listen to Zayo who's from that area too you know that that, that was really? always, yeah yeah I thought they were like California or some shit oh Mar- originally Marietta West Virginia yeah but they have ties oh. to there and I, um my younger brother went to high school with a couple of those guys well Jesse Smith after he left left the band there was no reason to listen to him <laughs> Liberate X and Furnace, man. That that was a great record. <laughs> Time Bomb from Pittsburgh, Chris. Do you Ooh. remember that? Time Bomb? Yeah, yep. Definitely from, from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. There was a singer from Badger Citizens, and he has a... Willow Tip's out of there, too, right? store. Willow Tip Records is out of Pittsburgh, isn't it? I don't know about that. No, uh, Slowpoke was from Pittsburgh. 
Yep. Uh, like I said, I'm pretty sure the Pistol were from Pittsburgh, who I guess are doing shows. Fucking Pittsburgh hardcore, man. I'm going there on the 10th to see Bloodlet. Oh, awesome. Are they touring? It's a great city. Yeah. yeah. It's it's an hour and a half drive from here. Not barely that even. You know, so. They're, they're out with Darkest Hour and Zayo. Yeah. Now, but, only Charlie and Scott are the original members, right? Like everybody else. Yeah, is- Matt was playing with him for a while. But when I was talking to Scott, I guess he's in the Pacific Northwest because his son is like way into MMA and is actually very good. And Art was going to do it, but then Art just decided he wasn't going to do it. But the other guitar player, Tom, has been with them since that uh, Three Human Nights record they did way back when. So he's kind of, he may as well be OG at this point. You know, it's kind of like the Matt Sorg thing with Ringworm. He's been in the band so damn long. 20 years. Yeah, it's, it, you know, but... You know, yeah. So as soon as I found out they were playing, I just I'm like, they're not coming to Ohio, so I'm going to go to that gig. So. Yeah. Oh well. So we we done here. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think that's it. I, know, I think we, that's Mark? a wrap up. All right. Mark, you get- do you talk more about Rat with us, Mark? <laughs> you guys, thanks for coming on. We appreciate you. Thank you for having us. Nice Definitely. to meet you. Thanks for having us. You know we love talking.
Christ. Amen.